Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. For the time being, we are a bi-weekly show once again. We're released every other Friday, and this is episode 75. On Horror Movie Podcast, we bring you in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Factor from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, Jay, no matter what, just keep streaming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You're getting really good at those, Josh. I have to uh, commend yeah, you very on good. that. <laughs> okay. So uh, the listeners, if you're new to Horror Movie Podcast, I can't imagine, but this is episode 75 and we generally have two different types of episodes. Three, really, if you count our franchise reviews, which are insane. We just now wrapped up our Nightmare on Elm Street franchise review. And every once in a while we do that. But typically we have two types. And Josh, tell them about the themed type of episode. So typically we take a theme and we dive deep into a subgenre or maybe just an idea as we did with the Black Friday episode. And we talked about consumerism in horror. And um, and so we take, yeah, just a kind of an interesting idea and try to deconstruct that and kind of get faux uh, academic on you and try to <laughs> talk about, you know, film history and film theory and, and just, you know. Some fun genre discussion. Yeah, I mean, our co-host Kyle Bishop, he gets legitimately academic on you. Yeah. We get faux academic. Right yeah, we're, we're pseudo-intellectuals. He's an actual intellectual. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the difference. And Dr. Shock, will you explain to them the nature of our Frankensteinian episodes? Uh, well, that's just where we sort of uh, show up uh, discussing whatever we whatever's on our mind at the time. Um, you know, we we uh, we touch on films we've been watching recently, um, or even um, you know that's normally when I'll put out like the I'll take a look at a classic actor, for example. Um, you know, just to sort of piece together from uh, you know from from whatever happens to tickle our fancy at the moment. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so this particular episode is a themed episode. We've been looking forward to doing this for a long time. And uh, really, one big thing that inspired it was the release, finally, of Eli Roth's The Green Inferno. And so this is going to be our cannibal horror subgenre themed episode. Um, We'll have to come up with a clever name at some point. You'll be able to see it in the show notes. But... (laughs) <laughs> this is our cannibal horror. So, so guys, eat me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's it's not too shabby. You know, that might actually work for this. But um, so first of all, we've talked about this many times. It's one of my favorite kind of subjects in that has to do with horror, and that is the fact that uh, horror, most of it stems from real life scenarios or real life occurrences and believe it or not i mean un- i guess you could say unfortunately cannibalism actually exists but here's the thing and i i want to pose this question to you guys as genuinely as i can without you thinking i'm being funny or being like a, a sicko or something but for for most people it seems like for many cultures this has crossed the line and has become 
unacceptable human behavior, right? But uh-huh. what what I want to know is is why why do we why is this so taboo to eat another human? Wow, Oof. was it not taboo? I mean, I think it's um, first of all, I mean, I think the notion of cannibalism, although it has existed in pretty much every culture throughout the history of the world. Um, it is something that is kind of archaic and, you know, harkens back to kind of a primordial state, like real kind right. of stone age kind of stuff. And so I think that's why it feels really savage. And in fact, the word cannibal derives from the Spanish word for savage. And so I think, you know, it is a, it's something that's looked down upon in civilized society. And it's definitely something as I understand it historically, a lot of the reports of cannibalism that were still going on at the time of colonization by European uh, countries of the new world and, and of Africa, um, cannibalism was something that was used to kind of subjugate those people and make us and make ourselves and the people back home, you know, feel comfortable with that subjugation by saying, well, they are primitives, they're savages, and we're going to go and civilize them. And so this is a a noble thing we're doing to rape and pillage and plunder. And as bad as everything we're doing is, they're so much worse, you know. And you see that reflected in a lot of, especially the Italian cannibal films. Yes. Uh, mm Mm-hmm. Yes, but but when it comes down, though, to, I mean, just to reduce it, I know I'm being very reductive, but I want to take it down to its its very basic level. If it comes down to a survival circumstance, okay, because, the you know, it's really interesting. If you read, like, the Wikipedia entry on cannibalism, it's pretty interesting, actually, because there are different ways of looking at it, different types, and one of the, the distinctions that they make is um, cannibalism when... <laughs> You are eating somebody's dead body, you know, to survive. Or cannibalism where someone was alive, then you murdered them in order to eat them. And, of course, the latter is frowned upon more. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, you think about, the. have you guys read the book Alive or seen the movie adaptation of Alive? It's been a long time, but, yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, that was one of my favorites in eighth grade. I remember I read that novel. And... Tell them you the know, gist, just in case they don't know. Basically, this soccer team crashes in the Andes. True story. True story. Yeah. And to survive, they have to turn to cannibalism and eat the those who who died. And at one point, a couple of the guys decide if they're going to survive this, they need to actually leave and make a you know make a trek and try to reach the outside world. So they take these old socks and they fill them with human flesh. And they, that's what they eat, and they carry it down with them, you know, as their food supply. And there's this amazing moment in the book, again, true story, where they talk about seeing, I, I can't, you know, I haven't read it since eighth grade, but they see like a goat farmer or something. They start coming down into this valley from these mountains, and they see the, they have their first outside human contact with someone who wasn't on the plane, and the shame that came over them in that moment, um, and the disgust for this meat that they'd been living off of that they've been carrying with them and the, they're disgusting themselves at that moment. It was really powerful and kind of struck me oh. in the book. Right. But see, it, and it's, and I'm not trying to be insensitive to their plight cause that's horrible, but it's easy to feel that way 
when there are goats around, you know what I mean? It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) That probably really put the change the perspective. But when there are no goats, then I'm just saying, I mean, here's the the most antisocial thing you can do. And I think that's why the shame, I think when you live in a society, when you're in a civilization, you antisocial behavior is looked is still looked down upon, even if it's just being antisocial at a dinner party, let alone eating another person. And you know, we have all these laws in place that are essentially here to protect us from one another's worst behaviors, whether it's murder or theft or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's the epitome of antisocial behavior. So, Dr. Shock, does it make you feel uncomfortable if I told you that if we were like it? a horror convention or something and we got trapped underground somehow and you died. If I like, you know, maybe we could eat Dr. Shock. Would that bother you? <laughs> if you uh, died. Well, I would, if, okay. Would it bother me now or would it bother me then? I well, mean, I'm just saying now like, I find it very disturbing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it would bother <laughs> me then. <laughs> but wouldn't, wouldn't you want your buddies to, you know, be able to subsist off of your, you know, Let's flip awesome. this around. Would you? Would either of you guys say, "Guys, if I don't make it, you can eat me"? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Like, but I, if it's but if it's a horror convention, there's probably like plenty of like hot dogs and things like that around anyway. So, <laughs> and you, plenty of people willing to eat you. Yes. Well, true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you might not get to me for a while. There might be other things to eat there. Well, that I mean, that's just the weird thing about it because, like. uh one time I, I saw this weird movie. It was not horror, but man, it should have been. It should have been much. It, it was called, it's called like, oh man, it's like a two word title. The something arm, the severed arm, I think is what it was called. And it was this hilarious movie. Two word title, the severed arm. Yeah, the severed <laughs> arm. It was two words. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, it's from 1973, the severed arm. Okay, three word title. And what happened is these guys get trapped in this cave. It's five men, and um, they decide that they need to cut the arm off of one of them in order to survive. And so they have to figure out whose arm they're going to cut off and and so forth. Now, doesn't that sound like the greatest movie premise ever? <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. it's a terrible movie, actually, because it's it's very weak sauce in so many ways. And they try to make it into a horror flick, but it's not. Mm. It's really lame. But I'm just saying that's kind of interesting because it's like, well, if we're going to survive, you don't need your arm. I mean, I could see. Here's the thing. <laughs> if, if, I'm with my fa- if I'm with my family and they're starving, I could see myself being like, well, maybe there's. Maybe there are parts here that I don't <laughs> that I could live without. That you could live without. In order okay. for them to survive. So I'm just saying. It's funny how judgmental we are about cannibalism, but I think that if you're in the scenario, it might not be as appalling as it well, seems. I'll, I'll I don't t- know, man. I'll tell you what. I, I, the, to what you were dis- to what you're saying there. I'll, I'll just to give you a quick example. I was um, years ago. I was uh, at in a bookstore, and I was reading through. At the time, I was very into um, like the. Uh, uh, Soviet Union, especially during the, the era of Stalin. And they had this big sort of almost like a coffee table style book about that. And I'm thumbing through it. And I saw an, a picture there um, of, it was just like this couple posing. And you could tell it was like a rural area. 
they're posing, there's a table in front of them, and there's a child sleeping on the table, or appeared to be sleeping on the table, until I read the caption, and it said, cannibals and their victims. So Yikes. basically, they had eaten the child, because then when I looked closer, I noticed that the child was not all there. And wow. I found that very disturbing. I mean, I had that image that was like burned into my mind for weeks afterwards. Yeah. Now, is that a is that a real? Um, that is a real. Yeah. That that's something that happened. Obviously, people were starving during that time. Um, you know, I, I guess you know, I don't know the full. Didn't look into the full history of it all, but I know that Stalin, you know, collectivized farming, which is what Lenin was not going to do because he knew he had to feed the people, and so people were starving to death. Yeah. There's a painting, um, you know, based on the Greek legend of Saturn, and the painting, it's by Goya, and it's called Saturn Devouring His Son. And oddly, you see it in a lot of horror movies. <laughs> in fact, um, I saw it in two recent films. It was in a cannibal, one of the cannibal documentaries I watched, but it was also in uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the vampire film. And it's basically just the, this crazy-looking guy who looks like he's eating, like, some raw chicken or... yeah. Or, or something. It's on if, the Wikipedia page for uh, cannibalism. Oh, there you go. And yeah. if you look at it closely, it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And I actually saw this in in person when I was in Spain. And, and it was that moment when I looked at the – I was kind of looked at it. I was like, that's kind of gross. And I looked at the title, and it said Saturn devouring his son. And I looked back at it and saw that it was this boy's body. That was one of the most ghastly things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah it is. And 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 – I, uh, you know, I, when I, when I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I feel really uncomfortable inside right now. But, but as I was reading this, I wasn't really paying attention to the pictures or anything. Right. Um, but now, you know, as we're, I'm looking down through this, this entry and I think I see some, um, actual images from the, uh, Stalin era that you were talking about, unfortunately. And so, yeah, they're really, these are very upsetting things but i yeah you know i it is it is horrific and it's horrifying but i'm just saying that it's weird it's interesting to me or fascinating that it has become such a taboo thing dude if you want to understand just how disturbing it can really be you know these movies are pretty disturbing especially the italian films they're disturbing but there's a short documentary by Vice called Interview with a with a, not Interview with a Vampire, Interview with a Cannibal. And it's just a sh- little short documentary. It's not well made or anything in terms of the film, you know, the production. But it interviews this guy who uh, took part in cannibalism and then through a series of circumstances was basically released and never um, really served time for the, the murder and cannibalism that he committed. And he alludes to that he did it several more times that we just don't know about. And it is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my entire life. I felt worse about humanity after watching that short film. Like I, it was too much for me. It's like one of those things where you're like, Oh, the world is a terrible place, (laughs) which I don't like, I tend to not believe, you know, like I think, I think of nature as cruel and kind of that, you know, Herzogian way when, you know, uh, Werner Herzog, when he's filming Fitzgeraldo, talks about the evil of the jungle and how everything here wants to eat something else. But, you know, it's like a cruel and beautiful world in a lot of ways. But um, yeah. when you see that, you're like, oh, wow, humanity has a huge capacity for evil. And it's scary. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what you're saying there, Josh, it, it really rings true to me because like I, I one time I got this book on actual criminals, this really huge book at the library. And the the scariest guy I've ever learned about, and I'm sure the the horror fans out there are familiar with him, is Albert Fish. And there have been documentaries out there about him, but um he had he was an American serial killer who lived in between 1870 and 1936, and they called him the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac. He had all kind of names, and he was a a child rapist and a cannibal. And uh, he he used to boast that he had children in every state. And at one time, he said that he had eaten he'd had a hundred people and stuff. But anyway, if you read about this guy. It's insane, like, and it's very, like, disturbing, and it's like, you think that characters like this only exist in movies, but, um, no, this guy was real. Yeah, it's intense, man. I mean, and, and, you know, as I was saying, cannibalism was pervasive in every culture, um, in the world at some point, but my ancestors were cannibals just like just a hundred years ago, you know, like in Fiji, right. they, they were cannibal warriors and they were, they believed that consuming another person would give you that person's power. And if, um, there was, there was some crazy thing. We, I took my kids to this Fijian village, um, in Hawaii. It was like a kind of like, it's a small world for Polynesians, but you kind of go from, it's called the Polynesian cultural center on Oahu. And you go from village to village and you can see, Oh, this is what life is like in Samoa. And this is what life is like in Tonga. And I would, took them to the Fijian village, and there was some story about if you like laid on the chief's pillow, then like they cut your head off and he like ate your brains or something crazy. Like I can't remember the details, but my kids were just like, "Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where we come from." Wow. But, um, but you know, the stuff really existed, and then you know, and they, you know, there are very recently completely undiscovered tribes, you know, within the last four years were found in Brazil. And, and we know that cannibalism takes place on the war field. Um, yes. And we know that cannibalism is still practiced in some tribes in Africa. So it definitely exists. Yes, it does. And, um, well, so I had a question for you there, Josh. So for the, the people there in, in Fiji now was, was the reason solely to, to be able to like, I guess obtain some of their power as a warrior, or you know, was that was that the main reason behind it? That's my understanding is that they absorbed, yeah, the power of the other person. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm not an expert on it. I've only gone to it's a small world for Polynesians. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. So, uh, so Dave, what about in Pennsylvania? There, have you encountered many cannibals in your everyday life? Uh, no. Okay. At least none that I know of. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh no. I okay. don't know. I, I, that's pretty much that. Well, what about, uh, <laughs> so Jeffrey Dahmer, right? I mean, he's a, he's a famous example and, and he's attributed, uh, clearly with having, suffering from mental illness. But I remember in one kind of really sick documentary, they, they, they showed interview footage with him, Right. And they were talking to him, and, and it was just, it was a regular, this was like a home video that was shot when he was, before he was discovered, when he was still doing his thing. And, like, one of his family members or someone was over visiting him, 
And then this footage, they said, um, you know, what do you have for lunch today? And he's like, oh, McDonald's, <laughs> you know, like, and it's like very upsetting because it's like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't actually McDonald's. It's, <laughs> but what's weird is how, how few people, at least that we know of, that there were like that. I mean, I think in these tri- in these various tribal cultures where they have some kind of a a cultural reason behind it or even a spiritual type of belief, you know, you can kind of I, I don't I'm not I don't want to say get behind that, but you can kind of understand, you know, it's like, well, that's their culture for heaven's sake. But but well, yeah, and a lot of them like I was just reading that in Aztec culture people have said that they thought they were cannibals, but I don't know, some I guess scholars now are saying, well, they they occasionally took um Participated in ritual human sacrifice, but they weren't cannibals, um, is what scholars believe now. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was quite. I, <clears throat> I think it weeded itself out over time. I think as um, the world became closer, people wanted to do that less. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it is amazing, though. I mean, how few like extreme examples like Albert Fish and Jeffrey Don um, Dahmer. And then, and then, what about the the Donner Party? I, I assume you're pretty. Are you pretty familiar with that, Josh? Yeah, pretty familiar with it. I mean, um, just having driven over Donner Pass many times in my lifetime because uh, my wife's family's from Berkeley, and you know we live in Utah right now, so we drive over the Donner Pass quite often and think and talk about it and think about it. But the, my main exposure to it's actually from Matt Stone and Trey Parker. They did a documentary called, or not a documentary. They did a, a film called cannibal, the musical for trauma um, back yeah. in the day. Oh yeah. Which is really funny actually, but really low production values. If you like their style, you would like that film. And, yeah. uh, and they do kind of their own mock version of, what the Donner party would have experienced basically. And for those who don't know, can you just kind of give like the, I mean, the it's just, it, what it's a similar, it's not dissimilar to the alive story. Basically they were uh, pioneers trekking across this pass. Now, now known as the Donner pass when they were snowed in and forced to eat one another. And then after it was over, uh, there was, suspicion that maybe they didn't need to eat each other was part of it as well um yeah that's horrifying that that that's the that's the aspect that is very upsetting to it because it's like you know if somebody if somebody ends up resorting to that and i'm not talking about murder but i'm just saying and they have to you're like like in the alive situation you're like oh well okay but yeah if, if you do that and then you didn't have to then i could see the shame you know i could see it coming then but Anyways, all right. So, what about what about in, injecting this into horror? I mean, this seems like the perfect <laughs> the perfect medium or the perfect area of art or genre to incorporate this. So, um, I, I would say, and this is probably a good place to lead into this. Probably the most infamous or famous uh, cannibal type movies are the Italian cannibal films, right? Yeah, well, they're the ones that are, I guess, the, the, usually the ones that are pushed to the forefront, and it's, and it's, um, you know, it, it, unfortunately, in a lot of in a lot of instances, the cannibalism is only part of what makes the movie uh, infamous 
are notorious mm-hmm. um, because all of them, at least the ones that I've I've written down here, not all of them, but like some of the main ones, uh, also feature you know uh, the deaths of animals, uh, the real deaths of of animals, um, both by the uh, you know by the characters, and then they also feature sort of animal on animal violence, if if there is such a thing. Um, that's even more disturbing than the kid. I think in, in pretty much not all of the movies, I think cannibal Holocaust, it's pretty much 50, 50, but in some of the other movies, those scenes are more troublesome than the actual cannibal scenes. Yeah. And, and, and one reason is because they're, they're real. They're, they're they real. actually occurred. They caught it on film and they, they they're did real. this to animals. All those yeah. sw- what happens in Cannibal Holocaust looks pretty darn real, especially the ending scene there. Oh yeah, yeah where things get wild. I mean, that looks. That's why I'm saying that one's sort of fifty-fifty. Is um, would you say that's the most famous? Would you guys say it's the most famous cannibal film of all? I would mo- think so. Definitely. Yeah. Now, see, let me just tell you, I've I've only subjected to myself to that film once. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when I did, when I when I watched that, um, when it was over, I remember I remember feeling, and I, I'm not even exaggerating, okay? Like I remember feeling like the light that was always on inside my my soul, <laughs> my body, huh. yeah, was turned off. I I felt huh. an absolute darkness and and a vacuum, and I'm like, it, I mean, it was it was almost like, and this is really weird to describe, but. Some there are a few horror films that can do this, and when they do, by the way, like I feel a little bit this way when I watch the The Exorcist too. But like when when that when that happens to me, it's like when something has been extinguished with within me, then I get really troubled on a deep level, and it's like okay, probably shouldn't have watched that. Right. <laughs> like you know, well, I mean, do you have I that would ex- say the Italian films get way worse than Cannibal Holocaust in a lot of ways. Because yeah. Cannibal yeah. Holocaust at least is contextualized with this um element, you know, outside of the circumstances, whereas a lot of the cannibal films you're in that world entirely the entire time. And another other uh, the Italian films also include real violence toward animals. All of them include a lot of rape and racism. I mean, they're heavy. It's heavy, heavy material. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, I mean, these were put together that this part of the exploitation era, right doc. So part yeah. of the purpose, I mean, part of the objective was to be as offensive and as taboo as possible to really push the limits. Yes, it is. And, and um, there's one uh, – you're right. And another thing that they used to do with a lot of those movies is they would lift scenes from other films. Um, and I'm not thinking Cannibal Holocaust necessarily here. I mean it might have done that. But Eaten Alive, you know, one that I had um, I had actually covered in the 31 Days of uh, right. Halloween, mm-hmm. that lifts quite a few scenes from other movies, um, from, you know, from the director's earlier films and, and, and other movies – um, most of the animal violence in that one, uh, or pretty much all of the animal violence was lifted from an earlier film and it was just thrown in there and really didn't have a place in that movie. It didn't even really matter. It was just sort of, okay, let's hear something else we could put in. And you're right. It is, it is sort of to, 
the shock, um, you know, because the animal scenes, like we were saying, are are shocking. Um, but there's an ending scene there. Is that this one? I'm trying to trying to look at look up her name now. This this one actress, uh, because at, I know of at least three movies that uh, this actress. Yeah, she's in all of them. Basically, she's in all of them, and it's the exact same footage of her being devoured in each and every one of them. Like they just take it from this movie, put it in that one, then put it in that one. Um, and you're like, since they recycled that, was she actually eaten? Like, yeah. you, you know what I no, mean? I've seen interviews uh, yeah. with her recently. <laughs> Still alive. May May Lie. May May Lie is her name. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's a great documentary that's kind of a survey of these Italian cannibal films. It's called Eaten Alive, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Italian Cannibal Film. And it is on the Cannibal Ferox Blu-ray um, that's where you can get it, but um, it's. I mean, if you're interested in the films, it's the easiest way to get a really great bunch of information about all of them. It's got something like 14 Italian cannibal films, and it goes through each of them uh, individually with interviews from the filmmakers and the actors, and they talk about all of the issues surrounding these films as well. Okay, well, I got a, a controver- a very controversial question to ask you guys. Can I say one thing before you move on? No, please, go ahead. Um, you know, just Dave was talking about kind of the rip-off element of these. I think as with every genre, there's a lot of disagreement about who actually started it. You know, the the director of Cannibal Holocaust kind of says he's the guy that really made it go viral because his film was such a huge hit. And that's true. But um, a lot of people will say the man from deep river was the first cannibal film in 1972. That itself is just a straight rip off of the Western, a man called horse. Um, And basically (laughs) they just changed the location. So, and added the cannibalism. So, yeah. So it's, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, here's what I'm wondering, and I just want to tell listeners up front here. I, I'm an I'm an animal lover. I love animals. Okay, so I'm not I'm not. I don't want PETA after me for asking this question or people freaking out on me. But I'm I'm just this is an art question. So, and I'll point it at Josh because <laughs> Josh, you always put me in the hot seat on things. So do it. Okay. So since since the these animals are being um, killed on film, but, and I, I know Dr. Shuck can tell you a couple specific examples when they died in vain because they didn't get the shot or it didn't happen the right way. But, but let's uh-huh. assume, assuming some of these um, were killed on film and we'll use one of the most egregious examples in cannibal Holocaust. When they, when they chop up that giant, tortoise that turtle uh-huh. that's one of uh-huh. the most heartbreaking things i've ever seen in my life it is yeah. so sad yeah. that that i like i may have actually cried when that was happening but but anyways and what's what's interesting in that scene is you see the actress vomit in the background yeah yeah and it's it's real right isn't that real. isn't that's that real. what they say that Absolutely. happened yeah that that happened. She got physically sick. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching that, it is sickening. But if if an animal dies for the purpose of art, right? Um, then does that make it okay, Josh? If it, I mean, maybe not for a horror film, but what if an animal died for the purpose of filmmaking for something that's um, loftier? 
like than just you know exploitation horror. But I just wonder about that because you are preserving that death, and and if you could use it for a a good purpose, quote unquote good. Um, I mean, the bigger question you're asked, or the question you're asking, relates to the bigger question about these films. How can we justify even <laughs> discussing? these movies that are so blatantly um, xenophobic and misogynistic and all these other things, Uh, the films also, I would say are a commentary on the problems of Western culture. And I think they are saying essentially, are we really just as bad as them? Um, That's certainly the case with cannibal Holocaust. I think the Uh outsiders, Proved to be as barbaric as the cannibals in that film. Yeah, yep. because ironically, what you're saying, Josh, is ironically, even though we're making this kind of pointing our finger at these cannibals, meanwhile, these white people from New York or California or wherever they were from, they went down there and chopped up a bunch of animals on film and so uh, forth. And it's like, you know, maybe the finger should be pointing at them. Is that what you're saying? It's ironic. Yeah, that's what I am saying. Ironic. And so, well, yeah, and so. I think the films, some of them, and you know, we'll get into this when we get into the Green Inferno. Whether we think the filmmakers are actually aware that they're making this commentary on uh, the problems of our supposedly civilized Western culture and using this as a means to kind of explore that, or if they're simply just mocking and uh, trying to feel, you know, superior and sickened by these other. You know, the way these other people supposedly live or have lived. Um, but to the question of eating or of killing the animal, I don't think it's ever justifiable personally for me mm-hmm. to kill mm-hmm. an animal for art. Um, I think it's disgusting and I think it's a, it's a shame that that was allowed to happen. Um, I want to be sensitive to because I know we have listeners. There were several that voiced their concerns on the message boards that we would even review this film. Um, when we covered it back in the found footage episode, I, I, w- I want to be respectful of that. Um, I don't know that I could um, recommend people watch any of these films because I do feel like they have that light goes off effect on me as well. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, I think that I will say this has happened. It happened 35, whatever years ago. Um, I don't think that that excuses it, but I think now it's a historical document that we can look at more objectively. Mm-hmm. I think even, you know, we look at a film like birth of a nation or, you know, a lot has been made of the films, the Nazis made during world war two. I think those are still worth, those are worth watching as historical documents now. And that's real stuff. And that's much more severe than killing a turtle as horrific as that is you know, clearly the Nazis are worse than that. Yet we still can look at their filmmaking and contextualize it and learn from it and discuss it and have meaningful conversations about it. And so I think that's the way I think of cannibal Holocaust now. Yeah. Um, And I think it's unfortunate that it happened. I absolutely don't condone it. I don't think it's excusable in any way, shape or form, but it has happened. And I think, you know, we've taken upon ourselves this job to discuss cinema and, you know, that's part of it. Right. I think, and I think a lot of it too, and I'm not saying so much with, well, definitely with, it, it's in with Cannibal Holocaust as well, but with a lot of the other 
uh, Italian cannibal movies, Jungle Holocaust and Eaten Alive, um, the animal deaths are purely exploitative. They add nothing to the story. They're just there for their shock value. Yeah. And I think that makes it even more disgusting that they're just like, hey, let's 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 wake the audience up here with, um, you know, this this picture of uh, or this this and and as 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 upsetting as the the turtle death was in Cannibal Holocaust, and I still put it as the worst. Uh, very close behind is the death of this crocodile in Jungle Holocaust, um, because they are carving it up while it is still twitching. Yeah. You know, and and the way that they the way that it's done, it it's very close to the to the tortoise scene, and for me anyway, in um, you know, in Cannibal in Cannibal Holocaust, uh, I, I think that's a lot of it. It's just that they didn't need to be there. You know, it was almost like, hey, let's do this, and and others have done it. I mean, I mean, Godard did it in in a movie called Weekend. You know, they they um, he, you saw them cut the throat of a pig. Uh, in that movie, I mean, Francis Ford Coppola did it in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You know, so... And is Jungle Holocaust, sorry to interrupt, is that the same film as Last Con- Cannibal World? Uh, let me think. I think it might be. Let me just okay, check. so I, I, I've seen that one, too. I didn't realize it was also called Jungle Holocaust, because I was trying to look that up. Yeah, uh, no, I believe I believe it is from 1977. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I saw that yeah, one another, too. Another yeah. Diodato movie. That's Diodato did that right before Cannibal Holocaust. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the record, by the way, you two handled those answers extremely well. Beautiful answers, and I agree 100. percent And I just want to put it out there: I am totally okay. against killing animals on film. I was just playing a little bit of devil's advocate. I just want people to know that because I I am I mean, not behind it. It's crazy to think about. I mean, I, I think I brought may have brought this up during our found footage, so you can stop me if I already have. But I know I've talked about it before. But you know, I've been shooting this documentary that covers native hunters in Alaska, and I mean, I personally have shot hundreds of hours of people gutting animals, shooting animals, um, real entrails. I've had to participate in that just to keep us out out of uh, danger of bear attacks, and so like. I feel really weird condemning a film like Cannibal Holocaust um, when I've participated in, you know, and, and filmed it. It's different, I guess, because it's a documentary and I'm, they're not doing it for me. They're doing it for survival and I happen to be there for it, but I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird line that we draw and it's, it's one of those imaginary lines as a, you know, civilized people that we draw. And it's interesting to think about. It is. Well, I, what was really fascinating that you brought up, Josh, was just the very question of whether or not um, we could feel okay about discussing these films, because some people are clearly um, really opposed to them, and I understand why, for sure. And I totally relate to that, and I understand that because of, um, if, and this is not, well, I haven't seen the film, to be honest, but I... Hellhunter, if you guys know of him, the, the famous uh-huh. horror critic, he, uh, and it's a long story, so I won't go into it, but he gave me a, a play-by-play on everything that happens, and I usually don't mention this film, but for this discussion, I will. Like, I, I am totally morally opposed to something like a Serbian film, uh. because, um, well, 
because I guess I don't even have to give a reason. It's it's like obvious if you're familiar with that content. Right. It, right. it is it is it is just literally to me like unthinkable content. So like yeah, that's why I don't I don't believe in talking about that film or reviewing that film or discussing that film. I would never watch that film, and I don't care about film critic rules. Like can't review a movie you haven't seen. I'm not giving a rating on it, but it's like no. F that. I mean that that is. For, yeah, I'm so against and, that. It makes me angry. I mean, I, and I've not seen it for for that reason, and I don't think I ever will watch it. To be honest with you, I just I, I just that doesn't appeal to me. That, that <laughs> no. sort of there are some roads, honestly, that aren't worth going down. Right in, in life, and, and well just be, and just because it's art doesn't mean that it's quality art. That was like, brilliant, right. Josh. Right. I loved how you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because and, and Bill said he put it another way because of course he watched it and he said he said it's garbage. <laughs> like, <Right>. That's what <laughs> he said, which I loved. Right, but and, and another another movie like that for me that I watched once and and. I don't even know if I'm going to review it for the blog. As a matter of fact, I probably won't because I just don't know if I can bring myself to watch it again. Is Sallow? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's another one. Days of Sodom. That's just there. Yeah. Are, there are scenes in that that are incredibly disturbing. So what Josh said, though, like okay, so why? So maybe uh, our astute listeners, and we have many, many out there, mm-hmm. are maybe asking us, okay, so guys, why are you talking about chopping up? Uh, turtles and alligators and stuff and it's like i think josh brought up a good point with the historical side of it um and and yeah i think for each person there probably is a line you know for probably most people they have a line and the 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 films that you know we just talked about doc like sallow and uh in a, a Serbian film, that is the line for me. There's uh-huh. no way, like, I want to subject myself to that. And honestly, right. Cannibal Holocaust, I'm not, I I bet you I never watch that again, ever. So, And I have seen it a couple times. I'll admit I've seen it a couple <laughs> times, and I've seen Jungle Holocaust a couple times. I mean, I considered um, buying the cruelty-free version because I want to be honest about this, too. The filmmaking is exceptional. In mm-hmm. Cannibal Holocaust, and yeah. Yeah. as an example of found footage, it's really impressive. And so i i can I seriously considered buying the cruelty free version. I didn't I, know there was such a thing. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. and I think it's an attempt to say, hey, you can still watch this without watching the animal murders or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I right now, I as of now, I haven't, and I think I, I, I it feels like I'm justifying it to myself, so I'm just not going to. But. Um, well, well, and here's the thing, and this is what a horror, no, how can I say this? A person who is critical of horror, <laughs> not a horror critic, but a person who's critical of horror, they might put the question to any of us and say, okay, so, you know, you say you watch horror because it's scary or it's, it, you know, it's, it, it is upsetting or it offends you, it, you know, it's supposed to do that, so... So why do you have qualms when it when it does this? I mean, because I think even a, a really hardcore horror fan like like One Sick Puppy, I know he watches stuff like this all the time and he doesn't blink, or at least he acts like he doesn't blink, and I believe him. But anyway, he might. It's not a big deal to him, but for me, it is. And I think to me, I think there are different kinds of horror fans, and to me, I do like horror to be scary, but I like it to be. In, in a in a realm of 
Like, for example, I love Beastly Freak movies. Everybody knows that. I love survival horror. I like things that that could happen. I don't know. I, I, I It's hard I to even... Like, I don't like things that are mean-spirited is the way right. I feel about it. And I, and okay. Okay. I think I like you can have something terribly scary and even disturbing that isn't mean-spirited if that makes sense i'm trying to think of a better way to put that Josh, it's funny because yeah it reminds me of like one one time um the, they were talking to these kids I, I forget what tv show it was about the you know the noah's ark story and about how um noah might have had to uh, kill some animals and so if he was a religious man why would he kill animals? And the little little kid said, well, he did it in a peaceful way. And it's like, how do you kill something in a peaceful way? And so for you, Josh, it's funny that you say mean-spirited because horror is like, a lot of it is killing or well, look, haunting. I, and it's- I, I watch, I, I mean, this, the, the Wolfman's Got Nard segment is the perfect example of this. I like to have fun when I watch a horror movie. And even you can suggest that a lot of the horror movies I enjoy are just as depraved or... Um, are gory or irresponsibly gory or what? And, and, and you'd be right. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to say straight up, you'd be right. But for the reason, the reason I watch them is for that roller coaster feeling. I it's fun. It, it remains fun for me. And these types of, this type of content crosses a line for me where it is disgusting and, yes. and, 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 and that's part of it. But also it's just, um, I don't know. It's not, it crosses the line outside of entertainment out of what I think is, should be socially acceptable for entertainment. Yeah, right. I, I agree. Now it's, it's, it's straight up. It's, it's straight up exploitation. Yeah. It's straight up. It here's is. What we're, let's, let's, let's grab, yeah, let's, let's grab their attention um, by throwing it, by throwing this in. And even equally as, as, as upsetting is some of the animal on animal violence. Now you see that in, in national geographic, you know, you'll, you'll see, a you'll see, a uh, you know, a lion chasing down a gazelle or something, for instance, or, uh, or a crocodile jumping out of a, uh, a river or something, you know, um, you'll see it there, but there it's, it's, it's like almost like a, just nature. This is like just nature doing what it does. It's a circle of life. Life, where you see this snake um, wrapping itself around this monkey, and it lingers. You know, it, it's 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 just like, oh, we caught this. Let's let's get this. Let's get this. And you see this monkey die, just slowly die, as the snake wraps itself around it, um, and, and starts swallowing it. And um, it's just there, strictly to to grab your attention and to say, hey, look. Look how awful this is. Look, look how, look how terrible this is. Yet, yet we're going to make you focus on it. Yeah, because you're actually witnessing death. I mean, a lot of yeah. times horror is the depiction of death, but it's usually a fictitious depiction. But this is actual death, right? Which makes it like a snuff film. Yeah. <clears throat> now we we. I use this term, and I just heard Josh use it a moment ago, and he talked about irresponsible filmmaking. I mean, it's interesting because as Americans, you know, in our country, we believe in a freedom of 
speech, freedom of expression and, you know, creating things. I mean, we can create films about whatever we want as long as it's not illegal, right? Uh Like, I mean, there is that line of things that are against the law, but um, (laughs) it's like my favorite, one of my favorite Jeff Goldblum quotes in Jurassic Park. You were so busy thinking about whether you could, you didn't stop to think of whether you should, and sometimes right. you just that's shouldn't. That's one of my favorite lines. Yeah, that's one of my favorite as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about that as you were saying that. And, you know, that's like the first rule of science, right? And I just think, well, first of all, it is ele- it would be illegal to just go kill now a tortoise. Yeah, now, <laughs> right. now, it would be, now it would be illegal because there's they had there are laws in, in place that, um, you know, if you're going to do that now, you better get CGI involved because there's going to be, yeah, and then they watch it, you know, they always, you see at the end of every movie, no animals were harmed and it was sort of watched over by, you know, like there were people on, on set to make sure that no animals were harmed and, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it is, it is different now. I mean, but it, it's, it's just jarring when you see it, you know, it's just very jarring. There's a horror movie from the seventies from France called blood spattered bride where, there's a scene where a fox is caught in a trap. You know, it's just, you know, one of those leg traps. And, the, and the, it's this little fox It's caught. Well, it's an uninterrupted scene of a guy pointing a gun at it and blowing it away as it's, as it's caught in the trap. And it's just, you're looking at it and it's like, why did that need to be there? Right. You know, what, what was it about that? Um, you could look at like the scene I mentioned in, in Apocalypse Now. You could say, well, it was part of that whole dream thing. You know, that that whole sort of nightmare quality that that ending sequence had, um, you know, when Kurtz is, is at the compound and um, or Willard is at the compound with with Kurtz and, um, you know, and, you know, they're, they're slicing up that 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 buffalo. Um, but yet there's it just doesn't it just doesn't it doesn't feel as if it no matter how it's presented, it just feels exploitative. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're really you know to kind of bring this home this portion of our discussion. Then um, I think there are a couple things. It's like there's the responsibility of the filmmakers, you know, deciding you know is this necessary or is it gratuitous or exploitative. There's the responsibility of the viewer who has to decide what is his or her line that they're willing to cross. And so you've got this this shifting scale. In this relationship between the filmmaker and and their choices, and then the viewer and their choices, and so I think that especially a lot of these Italian uh, cannibal films that are you know pre what what is that PETA thing called where they they have those rules? I don't know the mm. official name of that. What's that? Right. But 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 before those rules came into practice i mean you have these weird as josh said these historical documents where people are doing some really crazy things in the cinema yeah so it's it's difficult like first of all i know we probably come across as huge hypocrites everything we're saying because it is (laughs) totally subjective where you draw the line right and i don't want people on one hand to feel like we're judging them if they enjoy cannibal holocaust yeah sickos on the other hand, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like you, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'm go sorry. ahead, Diff. I was going to say I'll probably, I will probably, at some point in time, watch Cannibal Holocaust again. Um, and you'll eat popcorn while you're watching it too, huh? Possibly. 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 Probably won't eat chicken, but I'll probably watch. I'll probably <laughs> eat popcorn. Yeah. 
<laughs> These are and, distasteful and the thing jokes. Is like, <laughs> like, yeah. No, I was cooking a pork chop when I was watching Cannibal Ferox, and that was a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> Yikes. But on the other hand, you see a film like that short documentary I talked about, an interview with the cannibal, and you say, we've gotten to the point in our culture, and I know, Jay, you're going to say, well, that's you. You're that guy. <laughs> Where we're very um, PC and like don't want to tell anyone, like, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging your behavior. Like you're free. Uh, the 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 cutoff point is when I won't judge you up until the point you're free to do whatever you want. Freedom of speech, freedom of action, up until the point of when you harm something else. And that and for me, whether that's harming an animal, whether that's harming another person, when you see an interview with a cannibal, like don't do that. I want to tell that guy stop doing that. Don't do that. You're bad. Like I'm judging the him. And I feel okay about it because he's an example of humanity gone wrong. And and it's sickening and disgusting and terrifying all at once. But you also feel bad for him and and disgusted in him. I, it, I don't know. It's it's complicated. It's it's, it's really complicated. But and so and so we're dealing with it. And I never would have thought when we just said we're going to talk about cannibal movies that this would be the episode that I like suddenly feel like, wow, like horror can really go too far. You know, <laughs> like it never occurs because I don't think of these as the scariest movies by any means. No, no, that's the thing. They're not, you know, there are, there are moments in cannibal Holocaust that are, um, there are moments in other ones that we're going to be discussing that, that are one that Jay was going to touch on from 2007. I think it was that mm-hmm. has some, that has some very unsettling scenes in it. But you're right. These are not the, if you're looking for that that horror roller coaster, you know the, the 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 scares and whatnot. These are not the movies you reach for original. These are not the the first ones you reach for. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just it just I think it touches a nerve because it is dealing with the most sab- taboo of subjects, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's a really raw nerve, I think. And I was surprised by how raw it was for me as I started digging deeper and deeper into it because I did start feeling just grosser and grosser the more of these movies I watched. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Josh, would would you mind uh, moving into some of those documentaries that you saw? Because it sounds like you saw some pretty interesting things. Will you tell us about them? I mean, the, the one that I've already discussed, it, I, you know, it, it really is the most intense about chronicling a guy who is a, can- a cannibal living now and it's disturbing mostly because he went free and he's still walking around. Um, I don't know if I would recommend that film. It is super disturbing and it really made me lose my faith in <laughs> like a, a segment of humanity. It just really shows this dark, dark place that humankind can go and it's not, a good place, you know. So, so is that the one from two thousand seven? That's uh, was a TV movie or? Uh, no, it's just it? a Vice documentary. So Vice was a magazine, and then is a website, and they make a bunch of really interesting documentaries. They're a little bit exploitative, and they're they're not always though they don't always have the best production values. But what's interesting about them is they go in real to really dangerous places and cover things that a lot of other news media wouldn't. And so um, if you just Google vice interview with a cannibal, um, it will come up and um, yeah. yeah, it's 33 minutes. Okay. And um, 
Yeah, it's super dis- just super disturbing. It's about a Japanese fellow who uh, went to France to to go to college and met a, I believe it was a Dutch woman and shot her and ate her. And he talks about his messed up childhood, what led him to becoming a cannibal, um, and then kind of what his life has been like since that. And he, again, he kind of alludes to the notion that he maybe has killed a lot of people, <laughs> that we just don't oh. uh, The one is the only case that kind of made was made public. But it's super disturbing, Jay. Like, you talk about, like, okay, if I was in a survival situation, I could probably eat somebody and it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Wait till you see these crime <laughs> photos. Well, I, I, I didn't say it wouldn't be a big deal. I'm just saying that, I mean, it would definitely be unpleasant, of course. When, when you see these crime <laughs> photos of a real woman, like with her cut her flesh cut off to the bone on her legs and missing her nose and missing one of her breasts and missing part of her lip and knowing <sighs> that this creepy little dude ate her in his apartment, um, it gets real really fast. <laughs> Wow, so I didn't realize it. It they showed those photos and everything. So they show, yeah, they show scene crime scene photos, and it's the worst. I mean, so uh, so how is that? Uh, and I'm I'm not challenging you here. I just want to yeah. hear how how did you did that affect you differently than the act of killing? Because that and you could tell the listeners what that's about. That documentary is of a different nature. But I I still found that offensive. Um, I think the act of killing is more historically important because it tells the story of an entire nation and it tells the story of something that happened in a, the era, an era of war that is not a story that is not told and those victims are not um, – are, are not given their due often in Western media because they weren't white people that died. And we just don't talk about that on the news. So I think that's very valuable to tell this missing segment of history. And it's told very artfully, which is not, again, maybe not a justification, but it, it is the filmmaking is very ama- interesting in the, the act of killing. Have you seen that one, Dave? Uh, I haven't. I actually own it on, uh, on Blu-ray, but I have yet to see it. Wow. It's really good, and he has a he has a follow up film that I'm dying to see. Uh, the same filmmaker, Joshua Oppenheimer, but the interview with the cannibal is just one creepy dude, and it really and it's interesting, but it's not as um, it's not as socially relevant. You know what I mean? Like it's not it doesn't have an impact on the outside world except for this one person's really messed up life, and and it and. Yeah, I don't know. It just there. I see them as very different things. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, and then I saw two other documentaries that were even more kind of historic in nature. Uh, one is "Keep the River on Your Right," um, which I'd seen years ago, but hadn't seen for a while, and it tells the story of this author. Um, he was a man from New York, a gay Jewish man. His name was Tobias Schneebaum. And he, as a young man, decided he was very interested in these cultures. And so he left to two different places. He went to the Amazon and he also went to New Guinea um, to kind of explore and study these tribes. And he ended up living with two different cannibal tribes during his life. Wow. Why would you do that? 
Yeah, and he became friends with them. He had a he had several lovers um, uh-huh. within these groups, and he partook of human flesh and went on a killing raid of another tribe. Um, and he wrote several books about these events in the seventies, I believe it was. Probably, and I, I was going to look this up, but probably inspired the cannibal films to some degree uh, because he was all over the news and stuff when he. When he wrote these books. Yeah. Um, so this film, just some clarification, this is yeah. Keep the River on Your Right, a modern cannibal tale from 2000. That's when it was right. released. But this happened back in the, what did you say? The, the, the 70s. The so 50s? It, it, oh, yeah, the 50s. Well, okay. the 50s through the 70s, I believe. Um, gotcha. He talks about what happened back then, and we get historical context. But in the film, he actually does go back and visits these people now. And of course, they're not cannibals now. And of course, they themselves are very embarrassed of that they had participated in cannibalism. And it's very interesting. interesting. It's just fascinating to me that he would risk going into that culture and not worried about becoming dinner. You know what I mean? I mean that 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 would. (laughs) I'm not sure if he knew the first time that he was going into. Uh, a cannibal heavy area. I know that he, um, he had become friends with these people and he, he's the way he tells it. And who knows exactly how true his telling is as a, as a narrator, how honest he's being with us, but he talks about living amongst them for a little while and becoming friends with them. And then finding himself as part of this war party and not realizing what they were going to go do. Wow. And witnessing all these murders firsthand um, and seeing these people he had become friends with uh, killing other people and what that experience was like. Wow. Well, and, and this might be um, a truly, truly distasteful question, but but Josh is used to me saying such things. <laughs> but but like, um, do any of these documentaries, do, do they describe what it tastes like to eat another human. Not really. He said that's like the first question everybody asks him. <laughs> I know. Cause like, <laughs> I, cause I don't truly want to know, you know, for myself, but I am curious. Like, I mean, are we yeah. talking, does it taste like chicken? I mean, cause, cause I for, think he does say it kind of tastes like pork at some point. Cause for example, um, you know, one time I ate a rattlesnake and that tasted exactly like the dark meat of chicken, except it was really rubbery, hmm. for example. Yeah. Yeah, oh. uh, that, that could happen. Um, so apparently <laughs> he, he did go there in the 50s, and then he published his book, Keep the River Down Your Right, in 1969. And then, you know, he was on these press tours and such uh, about, at that point. Wow. Okay. Anyway, it's not a really well-made film in terms of it looks terrible. Like it was pre-HD just on the in 2000 just on the verge of that and just it's shot and directed in a really kind of stilted way. But it is interesting to hear his story and kind of uh, get to go on his journey back there to meet some of these people that he knew at the time. Um yeah. So okay. And maybe was- worth checking out. Nice. Well, I, I, what I remember about that, um, like, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. One of the things I remember is when he goes back, he meets one. He meets the man, or or one of the uh, the tribesmen who he had had a uh, relationship with. Hmm. And awkward. I know they talk. 
they well they talk in that in that no he actually it actually was like a joyous uh, if I remember correctly it was like a yeah. joyous reunion absolutely um, because in this particular tribe the the men would take both a male and female lover men I believe many male and female lovers yeah. yeah but they they kind of saw themselves as once a lover always a lover like they had mm-hmm. kind of a connection you know like a soulmate kind of connection right nice right. nice okay. But just goes to show, like all the the, the differences and you know the the, the differences that uh, in 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 the cultures. I mean, you know, nowadays you know we're we're debating on what you know what is marriage, uh, where there are still areas of the world where they're they're you know like like I said they they will take one both both sexes, and 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 almost have that like okay this they're in a relationship with with them, um, and and cannibalism obviously goes right along with it. It's just the the different cultures out there that are still out there. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. That one sounds uh, intriguing. I have not seen it, but I'm very curious about it. So wasn't there a third documentary as well, Josh? Uh, Yeah. The other one I was going to talk about is on Netflix right now. It's called the search for Michael Rockefeller. And it's pretty interesting. Um, He was, you know, the son of an heir to the Rockefeller. What would you call it? Um, Fortune. Fortune. Yes. And he he disappeared um, in New Guinea in 1961. So this would have been right around the time, I believe, that Tobias Schneebaum was there as well. I guess Schneebaum went to uh, Peru first in 1955. And then I'm not sure exactly when he went to New Guinea, but he also ended up in New Guinea. Um, Rockefeller disappears in New Guinea. And the belief was that he had been eaten by cannibals and uh, there was this massive search undertaken to try to find him. And the film uh, doesn't go into the cannibalism as much as it talks about the search for him and the different theories as to what actually happened to him. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. I I would say it's better produced than keep the river on your right, but maybe not quite as, fascinating the the thing that's interesting about it i guess uh is not necessarily the cannibal aspects it's more interesting to think about the reasons that if the people did kill him why it would have happened because the truth is and we haven't talked about this yet that although cannibalism did exist in many of these south american and eastern uh asian societies they typically didn't kill like white people (laughs) you know like they wouldn't kill they wouldn't kill a white person they that was usually done in in war with the neighboring tribe and so maybe we can talk about that when we get to green inferno too because that's interesting to me this idea that um you know they wouldn't see them as part of the enemy and so why did they see rockefeller as part of the enemy and the movie gets into why that may have happened wow can you say or is it kind of spoilery to say that i think it's kind of spoilery okay all right well what's it but basically his boat boat capsizes on the coast of new guinea and he he makes a swim for it and the you know the question is did he wash up on shore did he drown he was a really strong swimmer or did he make it to shore and was he eaten by these cannibals and there are all these different theories as and it was widely believed that he was eaten by this cannibal tribe well, that's interesting that you mentioned that. I wasn't aware of that documentary, but the um, one of the cannibal films I wanted to talk about is one that Dr. Shock and I reviewed for the weekly horror movie podcast. It was called Welcome to the Jungle from 2007. 
And that's about these um, young people, these two couples, they go to New Guinea to try to find Michael Rockefeller. So that's kind of interesting because this film is based on that real premise. Now, the the, the, the evidence has come to light that Michael Rockefeller might be alive and living with this tribe Mm -hmm. as opposed to having been eaten by them. And they figure they can they can strike it rich if they go and bring back proof that he's still alive. Yeah, that is the exact that is exact uh, that's totally lifted from real life. So yeah. like there's a, there's a there's a guy that worked for a magazine that was involved in one of the investigations and he thought there was a chance that Rockefeller was being kept captive by this tribe and he went to go see if he could find him. That's in the in the documentary. Interesting. Yeah, so I mean I loved loved the premise to this, but um I really felt like and I think Dr. Shock liked this better than than I did, but I felt like it was squandered. Because so much of the movie is just these couples fighting ridiculously because well, it's kind part, of – The part I didn't like was, you know, every – most horror movies have dumb characters. Right. You know, or, or even sometimes smart characters who do dumb things. Yeah. This movie, these, these young people are so stupid <laughs> and so – and especially two of them. They are, they are just screaming – kill me <laughs> you know they're obnoxiously dumb well and they're screaming at each other so much even in yes. the midst of danger when it's like yes okay no one would be yelling right now when they're in danger of being like right. killed so. and 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 like they they come across what could be a pretty you know terrifying find you know the these skulls and whatever and then and then and the one couple is like playing with them and moving them and taking them. i mean it just the, the, the characters themselves are, are, you know, you can deal with stupid characters in horror movies because there's tons of them around. But you know, they, they what's that commercial now that where they where they even poke fun at it? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. Um, right. But right. you know, the, these 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 couples were just ridiculous. Now, Jay, what I did like about it, and there's and one of the one of the most um, uh, disturbing images was lifted directly out of Cannibal Holocaust. You know that yeah. the um, as a matter of fact, you see it in the artwork on on some of the DVDs. Um, the 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 image I'm talking about. I don't want to go into it. Don't spoil it. Right. But it's taken directly out of Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. And but mm-hmm. what got me the one sequence that got me is when they're on the raft and <laughs> yes. the tribe is following them. <laughs> And it's just following them along and staring at them. That would be pretty damn terrifying. If you put yourself in that position, mm-hmm. first of all, I would never be in that position because I would never do this idiot thing that these morons did. Right. But if you are in that position and these they're following you and looking at you and watching you and like blowing darts at you and or throwing, you know, that was a that scene right there is the is stands out for me well, I'm in with that you. movie. Yeah, it's pretty effective, actually. It's um, remarkable. And actually, as I look, so it was episode two of the weekly horror movie podcast. Dr. Shock and I reviewed it, and we both gave it a five out of ten, and we both called it a rental. And I'll tell you something kind of weird. This episode you're listening to right now, episode 75, releases on Friday, November 6th of 2015, and we released this episode two when we reviewed Welcome to the Jungle, Dave, 
We review that was on November sixth, the same day. This is like the the four year oh. anniversary, and we're talking <laughs> wow. about this film again exactly four years Actually, later. Actually, I'm more amazed. It's been four years. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it set in present day or is it set back in the seventies? Present, present day. It's present oh, okay. Day. Interesting. Yeah, it's and present and, day. and you know, I'll tell you the truth about this. Okay, I, I've uh, I need to admit this. I I have wanted to revisit this, even though I was really lukewarm on it, because uh-huh. when I when I did watch it, I watched it under it wasn't optimal com- conditions, you know, and I feel like maybe I should give it another chance and just see if I like it better. But I was so annoyed by those freaking idiot characters that I don't yeah. know if I could get <laughs> past that. And that and that is the, that for me is the biggest drawback of the movie. That's probably why I gave it a five, because. <laughs> That it is hard to get past that. I mean, the the things that they're doing it because you're right. It's it doesn't even 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 morons wouldn't do what well, these morons were doing. And their fighting has that Blair Witch Project feel, where it feels like it's kind of like improvised, and they're just yelling it at each mm-hmm. other, and it doesn't even make sense. So yeah. I feel like. I'm really impressed by these filmmakers for picking this story out of history before the documentary came out though. Like, cause now it seems yeah. like, it, like now that this documentary is so present, it's like, Oh, that's a great story to kind of try to turn into a horror movie, but to go back and find a story like that out of real history mm-hmm. and then come up with this cool premise. That sounds, that's cool. That's it's a, awesome. yeah. I wanted this movie yeah. to be a 10. I was in love with that premise. And so maybe to make a good double feature with what, you know, with your documentary, Josh, that you're talking yeah. about, maybe what do you have for us, Dave? Okay. Well, I just put together this quick list of uh, movies, and I won't go into, you know, the Italian ones around here. I won't go into those again, uh, except for one. There is one Italian cannibal movie, and I guess it's it's technically an, an Italian cannibal movie, although it stars John Saxon. And uh, it's called Cannibal uh, Apocalypse. Nice. And this movie is from, let me just pull it up, it's also from 1980. It actually came out the same year as Cannibal Holocaust. But the, the setup here is, um, you know, John Saxon plays a Vietnam veteran and he's been having some, you know, he's, he's having these flashbacks about what happened to him during the war. But what, he, what he's thinking about is this specific rescue mission he led to try to bring back two of his men, uh, Sergeant Bukowski and this, and this one guy, Tommy. They'd been captured and uh, they were able to do it. They bring them back. But what happened while they were in cap, something happened to them while they were in captivity. Um, you know, when he found them, they were in this this pit and they were eating a, uh, a Vietnamese woman who had been tossed down there with them. Um, you know, so something had happened to them there, and one of them, while while uh, John Saxon's character is trying to reach him out of the pit, they bite him. Well, now they're back in the states and they find themselves with these urges to eat other people they find with these cannibalistic urges um and and even john saxon's character has it there's a scene where this this young girl she had been you know she had been sort of flirting with him um and you get this you know he plays a married man and he's got a family and everything well this young girl next door is flirting with him and they're setting it up you get this scene you get the feeling that there's going to be this this sexual encounter between them um well john saxon bites her (laughs) <laughs> he ends up biting her in the stomach. 
Um, and th- that's sort of what the movie is. And, and then it, from there, it, it's, 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 a, it's a, an action horror. Uh, who, who is the director on this one? Um, uh, Antonio Margaretti. Uh, this is this is more like an action horror. This does have some um, some action scenes in it, uh, not just with the war, but the, there's one that's uh, that's set with 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 this Bukowski. It's a showdown between him and the police uh, in this uh, shopping, oh, not a mall, maybe a department store or something. Um, but this one's this one's interesting. It, it's it's an interesting movie. One because I always like John Saxon. You know, I've always been a John Saxon fan. Um, but it's also just a different sort of. It's also it was called Cannibal in the Streets was another name it was released under. Uh, but it's just sort of a different take on the whole cannibal uh, ideology. It's and 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 um, I'd, I'd say it's almost cannibal light compared to the other Italian movies of that period. And it's it's it'd be worth checking out just for that. I'm not going to say it's. It's a perfect movie. Uh, it is very much still, um, you know. Uh, uh, I'm not. I don't want to be too. I'm not trying to, you know, be too down on these movies. But you know, you you, you get you expect a certain level uh, from a, from a lot of those sort of Italian movies at, of that period. Um, right. You know, and, and you get that a lot in this film. Uh, but I do think it's interesting enough to 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 check it out. Um, so okay, so there's that one also. Uh, if you think about it, um, probably the very first ever gore film was a cannibal movie, Blood Feast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast. Um, you know, there are, it's funny, it's such a micro budget movie. You know, the, the acting is so bad. And it's it is horrible. Single, single camera setups. And you know, obviously, Herschel Gordon Lewis, it's, he was not what you would call a. It's funny because he himself, uh, in a documentary, there's a documentary on him called "The Godfather of Gore" that that was released. Um, I want to say by something something weird video not too long ago, and it's got Herschel Gordon Lewis uh, standing there, and, and it opens up with with him making this quote. You know, he says, "Blood feast is a lot like a Walt Whitman poem. It's no good, but it was the first of its kind." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. And so, but and so, but that's you know, some of what you see in Blood Feast, though, Jay, and I guess you could back me up on this. I think you're a fan of this movie oh, as well. Yeah. You've seen it. What you see in it is damn disturbing for <laughs> what they were able to accomplish <laughs> with no money. Yes, you know, and, and the amount of blood and the amount of it's a scene where there, there are brains spilled out on sand. That looks very shocking. Yeah, when so you say it exactly. Yeah, it's from 1963, and it's in color, and which mm-hmm. is you know, and what's kind of interesting is that even though, as Doctor Shock just said, the performances are horrible and so forth, the gore is actually done pretty well in, and, in and, a lot of cases. And I think one of my favorite scenes is toward the end. I won't go into what they see, but where <laughs> the police are in a dark room. Yes. And they're saying, where's the light switch? Can we turn on the lights? And what they see when they turn the lights on and what we see when they turn the lights on. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That it's, is, it's worth watching for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those movies where if you're together with some of your friends, you will have fun laughing at it too. And, um, what they should do, Dr. Shaga, what I recommend, watch Blood Feast from 1963, and then as a double feature, watch Blood Diner from 1987, which is a horror comedy, but it was kind of, it's riffing 
on Blood Feast. <clears throat> and there's a lot, there's a lot actually that's inspired right directly from Blood Feast, which you'll pick up on, especially if you watch them back to back. But um, incidentally, Blood Diner is currently at Walmart and the $5 DVDs it has been in oh, one of those wow. combo packs, right? Yeah, yeah. Before you couldn't find it anywhere. Um, I then watched Blood Diamond with Leonardo DiCaprio. Just, yeah, which, <laughs> <No>. which is <laughs> might as right, well. It's <laughs> yeah, different, but um, but it, actually, and actually, the um, the three Blood trilogies, I guess it is of Herschel and Lewis, they're all on uh, Blu-ray, very inexpensively. I think I think it's like for right around ten dollars, you can get all all three of them, and it's it's Blood Feast. Um, was it uh, uh, two thousand Maniacs? Yeah, yeah. And um, color me blood red. Yeah, you get those those three movies um, together, and which would be worth it. And for you know, film critic fans, uh, supposedly uh, two thousand maniacs was the film that inspired Elvis Costello to be, go into film criticism and get serious about cinema. Hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, that's, I know that. that's a wild movie. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, okay, and there's just uh, there's just three more that I'm going to just touch on briefly here. Uh, one of them, you guys had mentioned the movie Alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there is a 1976 movie um, that based on that very same story uh, about you know about the crash in the in the Andes, and it is called Survive. Um, and where was it? Where is it from? Uh, it was a. Uh, I'm trying to see what country this was was produced in. I think it might have been. Hold on, there. Just give me a minute. I'm going to look it up here on uh, on IMDb because it's uh, it's extremely low budget. Okay, uh, they do recreate the the crash at the beginning, but you know, with the budgetary restrictions, it's clearly a model. It looks like it's um, from Mexico, Dave. Is that what it is? It's a Mexican movie. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but when it gets into the point of when they're deciding on whether or not to eat, um, you know, the dead, and then when they decide, yes, they're going to, those are the scenes that kind of stay with you. Um, and what I'm speaking of specifically is the, the okay, the, the where's the best place? You know, the, you see them cutting the meat. You see them hanging it out and letting it dry in the air then bringing it in and, and people eating it. But then, you, you know, these people who were like against it, they didn't want to do it, but yet they did it. All of a sudden now their strength is coming back and like, Hey, you know what? We're getting the protein now. I'm starting to feel a little better. Um, and the movie in that respect is, you know, the way it handles that it does it well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and it's, it doesn't start off well. I mean, it starts off kind of, you know, it, like I said, the crash isn't done that well. The snow never looks real. Um, and, you know, there's even a scene where, where um, uh, you know, the, the snow is blowing. You hear the wind blowing. It's supposed to be like sub-zero condition, conditions and the guy's walking around outside with his shirt off. Yeah, you know, so th- there are things like that that it doesn't work as well at the beginning. But the end of the movie, it, it kind of kicks it up a notch and when it starts dealing with that and it's um it's disturbing it is the same story obviously that inspired the movie alive uh just done a little bit earlier this one was this one was actually done um just a few years after you know 76 a few years after the event uh, that inspired it 
Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, moving right along. Um, okay. There's one. Okay. One movie. Uh, and I had covered this one on the blog a while ago. Uh, it's called uh, Tooth and Nail. All right. And I'm just pulling pulling this up here. Uh, it's it's a po- post-apocalyptic film. It, shot, it was shot in Philadelphia. And um, I was really impressed because for this, this sort of, um, you know, independent movie, they were actually able to shut down one of the major bridges in Philadelphia because there's a scene where someone's walking across it and all of these abandoned cars on it. I recognize the bridge. I don't, I think it was, uh, I think it was the Ben Franklin bridge, but it could have been the Walt Whitman. I can't remember. I can't remember now. It's been a few years since I've seen this movie. Um, but I thought that was, that was pretty interesting that, that they were able to do that. Uh, it's from 2007. Um, and it's got an interesting cast. It has uh, Robert Carradine is in it. It's a post-apocalyptic world, okay, but it's interesting because this world, it was not the result of a nuclear catastrophe, a virus, or some meteor from outer space. Um, Robert Carradine plays this guy, and um, they're they're sort of building this group up. What happened was um, the world ran out of gas. You know, there, there was no more, there was no more oil, mm-hmm. um, which, which ended, you know, everything. It pretty much ended civilization as we know it. Um, you know, a, a lot of characters are heading south in this movie, but some people are hanging around, you know, they, they want, they're staying in Philadelphia. Um, they're living in an abandoned hospital um, that have, they have clean water. They have a lot of, a lot of room to sort of stretch out in, um, you know, you get these characters um, young, it's a younger group. Um, uh, some of them, some of them you're going to recognize Ryder strong is in this. He's the guy from, um, uh, what was that show? Boy meets world. Uh, he played the friend in, in boy meets world. He was also in cabin fever. Um, so oh, right, you, you recognize, yeah. Michael Kelly is in this, who I know was in, um, the dawn of the dead remake as mm-hmm. the security guard, the chief, the head security guard. And they're, they're living there with Robert Carradine. But what happens is, um, some people start to die it turns out um, this young girl, they, they had taken her in. Um, she was being chased by someone that's played by Rachel Minor, um, by chased by this group. Well, it turns out that this group are these marauders that, that go around and they look for people to kill and eat. They're, they're looking for, to, to you know, harvest um, survivors so that they can eat them. And... Two of the actors that are part of this group are Vinnie Jones and Michael Madsen, mm. you know, who, who are these marauders. Okay. Um, and some of the scenes with them when they're like chasing them through this hospital, they were, you know, it, it's a good movie. It is. It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an interesting movie because it creates a convincing post-apocalyptic reality. Um, you know, you get to know these characters living in the hospital and it, that's, it's interesting and then all of a sudden the horror kicks in and there is a twist in there as well. You know, um, and it's funny because a lot of, they're called the Rovers, this group, and a lot of them look like they're out of Mad Max, you know, with, with that right. sort of attire that they're, that they're wearing. Um, but it's an interesting movie. And I, I, again, it's from 2007. What was it? It was part of the eight, uh, eight films it? to die for Eight films to die for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first group. Of eight films to die for. I, yeah, um, it might have been the second actually, but yes, yeah, oh, it was, was early. It, was it the second? Um, okay. According to, according to this commentator here on IMDb. Okay, 
but it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's definitely worth uh, worth checking out. And then the last one I had on here was one that I had discussed on again on the Thirty One Days of Horror, and it's a 2015 movie called Gravy. <laughs> okay, it is it is a horror comedy, uh, and I like it because it does get both. It's one of the ones that get gets both right for me anyway. Uh, it's more of a comedy. I'll be honest with you. It's more of a comedy. Okay. Um, it's a story of these two brothers uh, who, along with one of the brothers, has brought his uh, very sadistic girlfriend along. That uh, Their tradition is on All Hallows' Eve. They roll into a place that has no windows. Um, you know, they, they've scoped it out. It's, they go into a usually a business. Um, they take over, they tie everybody up and they make the announcement that we're going to, uh, eat you all. That's what we do. This is, this is what we do. Um, and they happen to go into this Mexican restaurant and what they do is there's a chef working there. He's a French chef. Uh, but this is like a little sort of two bit dive in the, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but it turns out that this French chef is very skilled. Like he's, he's, uh, a, a, a renowned chef. And the sort of the question that, that, that they keep asking is, what are you doing here? Why are you working in this place? Well, you do find out eventually why. Um, but what's what it, it's it's a funny movie. It, it, there is humor to it. It sounds, you know, it's a very dark comedy um, because what where the horror comes in is you get to know these characters in this in this Mexican restaurant. OK, um, you have Paul Rodriguez. He's playing against type because while other characters are funny, Paul Rodriguez's character is not. He's playing this father figure. He's the boss. He's the owner of this business. And all of the workers there look up to him. This is like a little tight-knit family, this group of people. So when they tie them up and they say, we're going to eat you all, you, you it definitely mean, you know, it, it, it you kind of put yourself in, in that position. And, and it does mean something, you know, it, it sort of, it bothers, it gets to you. You know, um, but yet the main characters themselves, the ones who sort of take to, who have taken over this restaurant are, um, who is it? Is it Jimmy Simpson? I think is the, is the one who's, um, who's sort of leading it. Uh, Lily Cole plays the girlfriend and she's the most sadistic of the three actually. And they had just brought her into the mix a year earlier. <laughs> that casting um, is great. Uh, Cause you know, she looks fiery and yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and and who is it? Um, uh, Gabori Gabori Sadib, uh, who was um, you know nominated for what was that movie? Precious. Yeah. She plays probably. she plays a security guard in this movie. Um, Molly Ephraim is in it. It's got a good cast, but it's it's a funny movie, and it's disturbing. And there's a lot of gore. There's a lot of you know violence in this film. Um, and it doesn't end how you think it's going to end there. It, it, this thing kind of relies on shocks and surprises. I was blown away by it. I'll be honest. I, this is, um, I had mentioned early on that, the, you know, the, there's a rack that we have at our Walmart here that, that, that they just sell independent movies, like one little rack where they'll sell independent movies and most of them are horror. I just picked this up on that rack for like $9. And I brought it home, and it blew me away. I could see this being in my top ten of 2015. Wow! Yeah, yeah that I was, I was that impressed with it. Hmm. I'll check it out. Yeah, just because I again, I don't know if it'll hold up on repeat viewings because it is a, a lot of surprises, a lot of things happen in it. 
that you don't expect and things that you think are going to happen you take a little bit of a turn um but so i don't know how well it'll hold up on second viewing but the first time through and you're laughing i mean it is it is funny i mean jimmy simpson he's he's really good in this the only thing i think well not the only thing i know i had seen him in um was that Knights of Badass? You know, he, play, he played the uh, so the 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 what did what did he call himself? The game master, right? Um, who was putting everything together? Um, but he plays he plays a really good role in this. Uh, it's interesting because the other brother, him and the girlfriend, don't get along, and then you find out that that you know she was going to oh, Michael Weston is his name. You find out that the year before she was going to be one of the people they ate, and she ended up joining along with them <laughs> you know like like they, they just have this quick flashback almost like a silent film where you know they kill one of the people with her and she's like i'm glad you killed that bitch i hated her <laughs> you know sort of that kind of thing yeah. um, and then and then the one brother says hey i'm, I'm really kind of falling for this girl so they ended up inviting her along and she ends up being the most i think she has a line at one point like you know she's like uh you know it's, this is so boring we've only killed like two people you know, so she's she's like one of those type of characters where she's a little too into it. Right. Um, but uh, it is uh, it's it's a very it's it's a very well made movie and it's very entertaining, um, and it is disturbing. And I think it, it handled both of them very well. And I it's one I definitely recommend. Even though it's horror comedy, I mean, you sold me on that when I read your review. So Josh is going to watch it too, huh? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. But um, so that that's it. Those, those are the ones I sort of. And of course, you know, just to throw it, just to mention it, because obviously um, uh, Hannibal the Cannibal, you know, the uh, the movies that featured uh, um, Hannibal Lecter, uh, Science of the Lambs. And yeah. especially especially the more I see Hannibal, the first time I saw Hannibal, I got to say, I wasn't all that impressed with it. Um, oh, really? there were things, things I liked about it, but I just thought as a whole, I didn't think it was as strong a sequel, you know, like I, I wasn't, I didn't know what the, the character with, um, Gary Oldman plays. It was just, I, I didn't understand that whole, you know, what had happened to him and, and, and the, the, just his, his, the full mode of his revenge or, or and as again, this is the first time I saw it each time I see it, I've seen it since then. It's gotten a little bit stronger for me. Um, and, but it does have for me, what is the most disturbing scene towards the end, um, where there's, uh, there's an exposed brain Oh yeah, and that's I'm famous. not going to go too deep into it. Infamous. Yes. But the part that gets me the most is when he's, he's describing what he's doing and he says, and we remove, and we let's remove the protective sack or whatever. And you see him doing it that for some reason, more than even what happens afterwards, just sent such a chill down yeah. my spine, you know, <laughs> yeah. when, when he, when you see him remove that thin layer, yeah. you're like, Oh jeez, you yeah, know, that's intense. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when you think, I mean, for, for it features, you get to see a little bit more of Hannibal Lecter in this one than you, even than even you did in Silence of the Lambs. Um, I liked the dynamic between him and, and, um, Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs. I think that's one of the strongest aspects of the movie, if not the strongest aspects of Silence of the Lambs. But in this one, you get to see him being himself a little bit more. Well, what's interesting about um, the Silence of the Lambs, for example, and I know some people will call that a horror film, um, it actually won Best Picture 
Uh, that yep. in 1992 uh, won the Academy Award, which is kind of interesting, and it actually won like five Oscars, which is it was rare. It was the it was the first movie I think since um, oh maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm thinking I thought that it won the top five. I think it won Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, and Screenplay. Yes, that's correct. Which the last time that it happened was um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. That's right pretty there. impressive trivia, man, off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah, he that that, one, that was impressive because you nailed all five categories. I was looking at it, but Doc just like said it. I just I, I I had put that as one of my trivia tweets a while back. That's the reason I remembered it, but uh, I think the last uh, I I think it's only happened a handful of times. I know we had this on the comment boards, Josh, and I know you and I were involved in that discussion, but I mean, I do lean towards Silence of the Lambs being a horror movie. Mm-hmm. If you nothing know, else, just to claim that a horror movie has won the top five Oscars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. They, they don't get, you know, it doesn't, it, they don't get nominated very often. I think the last time was, what was it? Um, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or no, it's happened since then, but um, it doesn't happen very often. But I think that, you know, when, when you look at the, 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 the subject matter of serial killers, um, yeah. and, especially- and, and, and like Buffalo Bill goes yeah. way beyond like the typical cop drama kind of killer, you know? Yes. Yes, he does. And what he's doing and, and you know, I mean, who can ever hear goodbye horses again, <laughs> um, you know, without, without thinking of that. So what about you guys with your Texas Chainsaw movies? I mean, yep. what, what, what do you think of those as cannibal films when you think of them? I think you have to, to yeah. a degree. I think, you know, whenever there's a, whenever you look up, when I was doing research for this, every list you looked up, top 10, top 15, top five, usually had Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, technically it is, but it's, it's funny because there are, there are cannibal movies where the actual heart and focus is eating people, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like we see in the green inferno, for example, um, which we'll talk about shortly. But, but then there are like ones where it's kind of on the periphery, like they're, they are cannibals or there are very few scenes really to show us that, which bone tomahawk is an example of that, which we'll also talk about soon. So, but yeah, you'd have to include it, Josh. That's what I, that's what I say. And so yeah. then you've got Motel Hell, which is influenced, yep. but yeah. Definitely. Motel Hell is one of those ones where, you know, you watch it and it's, it, the things that stick out, you know, Rory Calhoun, obviously, you know, his character in that movie. But what I always think about are just the sounds made, you yeah. know, they're, they're like, they've got these, it's almost like they're tenderizing the, the, the people and they've, and they've, they've cut something you know with the voice box and just the that sound like ah, the gurgling ah, you know, the, yeah yeah that they that they're making in the ground it's very upsetting that more than anything has always stayed with me about that movie that's a good one and one of the best it's and plus it had it had cliff from cheers he was one of the <laughs> one of the ones who they had planted in the ground yeah and there's the hills have eyes yep absolutely that was it. I, I, I haven't seen the the original, since we talked about it last on the show, is that does the original have implied cannibalism or it, it does. And it's again with the father, you know, almost like what oh, happened right. in, in the remake. It's, it's with that's the right. father. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, um, we are what we are, right? Yep. 
Yeah, that's one we've oh. talked about quite a bit on yep. the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then um, Ravenous. Ravenous is an interesting one. You know, that's it's 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 like uh, got some a uh, little bit of comedy in there with that one as well, and another interesting cast. You know, Guy Pierce, Jeffrey Jones, Robert Carlyle. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, of interesting. Oh, it's uh, who is it? Um, uh, Dewey was in it too. What's oh god? Uh, David Arquette. David Arquette. Yeah. He's also um, in Bone Tomahawk, which we'll be talking about. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, Ravenous is is uh, it's uh, that's almost like I guess I, I that sort of lends itself to what the um, the Donner Party, I guess. Yeah, and just to clarify, um, by the way, before everyone jumps down my throat, because I know there are probably people who already stopped the podcast to correct me. Um, Cannibal the Musical is not based on the Donner Party, but rather Alfred Packer who was another uh, prospector who confessed to cannibalism during kind of a winter, a similar winter snowed in event um, oh, okay. in Colorado. So, and, okay. and speaking of cannibal, the musical, of course there's always Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of yep. fleet street. Yeah. Tim Burton's uh, yep. That, that's, and that original that musical is so great. Um, I've seen that on Broadway, but also, um, Kevin Smith uses it in Jersey Girl, and I and I actually kind of prefer the Jersey Girl version of it to uh, to the Tim Burton version. <laughs> really interesting. Um, what about? Let's see. Did we mention? Let's see. Do, do we say Cannibal Man? That was uh, I don't know that one. And Jess Franco's Cannibals, uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. Well, that one I'm thinking. I don't know how much of a cannibal movie that one is i know that's got adrian barbeau in it i think yeah yeah um, see. that was that was one of those sort of straight to video of that same era that you got like um what was it nightmare sisters and and slime uh the, what was it uh slime ball or uh, bolarama oh god i can't remember yeah. what the, the full <laughs> title of that one now but you know the whole linnea quigley right uh era of of, of straight to video um movies well, One yeah. of our listeners recommended um, a film just called Cannibal from 2013. Have you guys seen that one? Mm-mm. No. no. He says, um, this is Joe McGregor, says it's a love story where a cannibal has to choose whether or not to eat the girl he loves. More of a drama, but I thought it was excellent, says Joe. So that's a hmm. Cannibal 2013. That's interesting. Wasn't wasn't um the movies, what was it? Was it the Fright Fest where they had the one? Uh, where somebody had answered an ad to be eaten. Jeez, what was I don't that? Know. Wow. What was that? What was that movie? Um, you know, it was it was the the, the same group that had released like um, Pig Hunt. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that Pig Hunt. Yeah. Yes. That's my that's my favorite <laughs> did I, favorite did I joke. Say that? Did I say that a little too quick? No, that's just my favorite joke. <laughs> It's really stupid, I know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> While you're thinking of that, I have mm-hmm. we we, we kind of threw together a list. We're just gonna kind of blow down through these because we got to get into our feature review soon. But we got the Mountain of the Cannibal God, 1978. That's mm-hmm. definitely that's one of the great yeah Italian ones. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice from 1972. It's also called Deep River Savages. I guess we're going to eat you from 1981. It's one I found. Primitives from 1980, Cannibal Terror from 1980. Um, this is one I, I I actually have not seen this. Does this qualify? Trouble Every Day from 2001. We reviewed that 
Um, and I don't remember much about it. I mean, we I did review that on what was it Planet Macabre when we did our French movies. And I remember um, Josh brought it up when he had that list, that top ten list that he read mm-hmm. from something. But yeah, and it sounded familiar. I I thought I knew it, oh. but the more I looked into it, yeah, there was a list, Josh, that you brought to the table, um, a, like a month or two ago. It was from some website. They're like top twenty five. Oh, okay. And it was among those. But Trouble Every Day from 2001. Eating Raul, which I think we've mentioned. Delicatessen is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave just rewatched Eating Raul. You want to talk about that? Yeah, Eating Raul. Um, it's funny because it's not... Technically, it's not what I would call a cannibal movie. Or It's one of the... It's, it's, it's a couple... Um, they live in an apartment uh, building where there's mostly these sexual deviants that are living with them, these swingers and everything. And they themselves are very asexual. You know, if, if you look at it, it's like, it's almost like the, the old leave it to beaver where they have twin beds in their bedroom. Um, you know, and they <laughs> blow each other a kiss at night at the end of the night. You know, it's part Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenoff, uh, are the, um, uh, the couple and they're trying to raise money for, um, you know, to, to, for a restaurant. Uh, and what happens is at one point this, this, this guy comes in, you know, they're having a party and this guy ends up coming into the apartment. The Paul, Paul Bartel has ended up down at this party. He's, he's being, you know, this, this dominatrix has got a hold of him. So he goes up to, to have his way with, uh, with Mary, the wife. And, um, he's basically trying to rape her when Paul Bartel breaks in and hits him over the head with a frying pan. Well, he ends up killing the guy and they look in his wallet and he's got $600 in there. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. So they get an idea. So like, you know, there's a lot of these sexual deviants just begging to be killed. Why don't we put out an ad in a, you know, one of these skin newspapers, you know, one of these adult newspapers advertising ourselves that like, we'll, we'll let you live out any fantasy you want. Bring them over to our apartment, and then we'll kill them and throw them down the chute. Uh, and that's what they do. That's what the movie is. Well, this what happens is Raul, played by Robert Belcher, ends up walking in, and and um, he sees some of the bodies. What it was is he he was a locksmith, and he sold them. Hey, I can change the locks on your apartment, you know, to, to make it safe, and I guarantee, you know, it, you know, it, um, that nobody will break in. Well, the reason he's doing it so that he could break in later on and steal things. And he comes across these bodies, and he ends up teaming up with them. Uh, and he becomes part of it. Um, let's put it this way. Eating Raul spoils the end. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But that is, that is the only moment of cannibalism in the movie. All righty. Yeah. So that, that's one that's kind of in that vein. And along with um, Sweeney Todd, I mean, Delicatessen is interesting along yep. those lines. And it's very mm-hmm. artistically done. So if Jean-Pierre you ever... Jean-Pierre Genet. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. And then you got... White Cannibal Queen from 1980. You've got Cannibal Holocaust 2 from 1988. You got White Slave from 1985, aka Amazonia. <laughs> then you got oh. Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals from 1977. Another important Italian one. And then you got Devil Hunter from 1980. And then Papaya, Love Goddess of the Cannibals, 1978. Oh. And then I saw this one, and I, I'm not sure. I, I don't remember it super well, but The Day from 2011. It's got a little bit of, of that in it. Parents okay. from 1989, I don't I don't really know. And then um, 
looks like we talked about the rest of those. So, well, the movie, the movie I I I was looking for real quick is called Grim Love. It was part of the Fangoria Fright Fest. Um, and just real looking at it quick on Amazon, um, the the it says graduate student Kate Armstrong researches cannibal killer Oliver Hagen for her thesis. She becomes obsessed with her subject and ultimately plunges into a lifestyle similar to Hagen's. And the thousands of people like him. And it's based on a true story, supposedly. It's supposedly about a guy who put an ad in the newspaper that he's looking for somebody to eat him. He wants to be eaten. Um, and he wants them, you know, uh, and it's a very sort of a meticulous thing. And somebody answered the ad. I think that's what this movie is about. Hmm. Okay. Um, I've got a list of all the kind of most significant Italian films. We've talked about probably half of them. But... Rather than reading that, I'm just going to say, guys, we obviously didn't. We're going to miss the one that you think we should have talked about. So, yeah, well, don't, don't, kill, don't kill us over it. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat us. I, I, I don't mind if you just blow down through the list and read some um, of the titles. Right, Josh. I'll try to not repeat any that we've already talked about. OK, um, but the most significant. Well, why don't I just read all of them? the most significant Italian cannibal films, okay. starting with uh, Man from Deep River, 1972. Then Last Cannibal World, a.k.a. Jungle Holocaust, 1977. Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, 77. Mountain of the Cannibal God, 78. Savage Terror, 1978. Cannibal Holocaust, 1980. Eaten Alive, 1980. Zombie Holocaust, 1980. Cannibal Apocalypse, 1980. Cannibal Ferox, 1981. Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, 1985. The Fall of the Italian... Oh, sorry. Um, And then the... Last one um, that kind of was looked at as the nail in the coffin for the genre was Natura Contoro, which, like you said, is Cannibal Holocaust 2, um, a.k.a. the Green Inferno as well. So that was kind of seen as the death knell for the cannibal genre in terms of the Italian films that we classify as cannibal film. All right. So there we go. We got a good list. And listeners, please, by all means, as you always do, Feel free to uh, supplement our coverage here in the show notes for episode 75. If we've forgotten any titles, just, you know, kindly pass them along to your fellow listeners and let us know what we should see if we're going to seek out some more cannibal movies. But for right- and, and cannibals were, were so big for a while there, even one of the Emmanuel movies had a, had a, a cannibal in the title. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah. Yep. All right, before we move into our our last two feature reviews of the evening, uh, Dr. Shock didn't have an opportunity to see these yet, but I'm sure he will. But uh, Dave, before you go, let the listeners know where they can follow you on the internet. At same place as always, you can come over to uh, dvdinfatuation.com. Still going strong over there. Um, Follow me on Twitter at at dvdinfatuation. Um, I have a Facebook page. Just do a search on DVD Infatuation. Can't say I've been updating that as much as I would have liked to, uh, but I'm always active over on Twitter. Um, and you know, definitely, you know, just, just pop me a you know message, say hello. Uh, I always like to. Have, uh, there's a lot of listeners who have uh, who have been doing so. I mean, they're getting a little more active on Twitter actually, um, uh, interacting with uh, with all of us. Um, you know, and it, uh, that's kind of cool. So if uh, it, you know, keep that up, or if you haven't yet, contact uh, contact us over there. Um, and uh, I'm on uh, the uh, Land of the Creeps podcast as well with uh, with uh, Greg Amortis, Jesse Robbins, and uh, Haddonfield Hatchet. 
Um, we have an interesting episode coming up. We're going to be looking at the Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe films. Um, nice. Vincent Price, Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe films, I guess, to be, be completely uh, uh, correct about, you know, technical about it. Very cool. Thanks for being here, and I hope you have a good night. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. Take care. Okay, Josh, I think we're ready to move into our feature review of Bone Tomahawk. Good evening. Civilized towns, you look a man direct in the face when you talk to him. This isn't comfortable. Well, it's not supposed to be. There's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her. And every second that we delay. You know who did this? I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. I'm, I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what a backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody. Okay, first things first, Josh, I got to give credit where credit's due. I know that I have been hearing grumblings about this film. I've heard some buzz, but the first person that I got to attribute or credit is a Shannon on the message boards. Shannon saw it and recommended it, and I'm absolutely nuts about this movie. Now, you weren't nuts about this movie, right? Or or were you? I mean, I liked it. Uh I, uh, because we were including it in our cannibal discussion and I knew that you had loved it before you saw it and wanted to include it in our cannibal discussion, <laughs> I was expecting a little more cannibal content than we end up getting in this film. It's very light on, uh, the cannibal stuff. So, um, that's part of it. It's also very long, which I, I don't necessarily mind, um, mm-hmm. The dialogue is excellent. It's incredible. But I'm not a huge fan of the direction. Um, really? So, okay. So, yeah. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have a lot to discuss here, maybe. But I, I love it. I'm so glad that you're, you've are you come prepared to talk about this. Because, well, first thing I want to know, uh, do you consider this a horror film? Because we should probably address that up front on this one. I mean, it's interesting to classify it as a horror film. It probably ultimately... <sighs> Actually, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. Okay. Wow. Um, That's interesting. These, I mean, I guess I had kind of, um, I wouldn't have said that had you not pushed me to say that, but if I, (laughs) if I really think about it, there really is only one scene that I would call a horror scene in the whole movie. And it's really just a gore scene. Um, and I don't know if that's enough. I mean, you, you call movies not horror all the time that are way, <laughs> way more built around horror premises and horror tension. Yum. And then maybe don't deliver on the viscera. This has one scene of viscera that you could maybe qualify it as a horror film. Other than that, it's, I mean, it's a Western, it's a dramatic thriller. Um, there are some intense moments to be sure, but. I don't know. I mean, this is definitely light horror. Well, my, okay, so my genre classification is Western first, drama second, horror third. And 
even though very little of it is what you would classify as a horror film, I think, you know, the end, where this goes and what it becomes, it ends as a horror film to me. I mean, I, and, and like you said, I mean, th- th- there's, a, there's a very famous scene in it, which we won't spoil for people, but it's, uh, it's got it's to be, it may actually be my new number one horror kill, kill of all time. It may actually dethrone the sledgehammer to the head, that first kill in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, wow. it, it is incredible to me because it, it looks absolutely real and it's as horrific as they come. But, okay, so um, the, the premise to this, everybody... You got these, um, it, it's set in the Wild West. It's the Old West, so it's like late 1890s. And you've got this this group, they're a, cal- a cavalry of sorts. It's four men, and they set out to uh, rescue these people from their town who have been abducted by cannibalistic cave dwellers, right? So that's the premise, and when I when I read that premise... The first time, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am so in for this because it's a Western and they're going after these freaks and it's just intense to me. So, as Josh mentioned, I mean, we talked about this on Movie Podcast Weekly and um, Andy saw it too and we talked about how it's kind of like a blend of The Searchers uh, meets, um, I well, Sam, <laughs> Andy said, The Searchers meets Saw 2. I call it <laughs> I call it Unforgiven, which won an Oscar, by the way, because of the, the dialogue is so good. So it's Unforgiven in its Western terms meets The Hills Have Eyes from 2006, the remake. Um, that, that, that's kind of what it is to me. It's a, a really neat blend of those. And I'm actually, Josh, I'm a huge fan of horror Westerns, it turns out. I really like this. Well, I, I, what I would suggest is there aren't a lot of great horror westerns, and there are a lot of people who have kind of tried to do it. Most notably, I feel like there's a bunch of attempts at the zombie western, and I haven't seen a good one yet. Right. But this is definitely a great use of horror elements with uh, with western. I would have liked personally to see a lot more horror in it, but I, you know, I mean, listen, dude, there's so many horror, or there's so many westerns that have close to this level of horror, but a lot more of it. Well, go ahead. Okay. Well, I would argue though, that these uh, cannibalistic cave dwellers, they are, they, they are made to have monstrous qualities, not just in their behavior, but it's, it's very cool. They have um, an adaptation of sorts to their physical being. Yeah. And it has to do with audio (laughs) <laughs> Which really bugged me at first until they explained it. Oh, like I man. hated it until they explained it. I loved it from the the um, immediately. I loved it and I thought it was incredible. But for for those movie people out there, um, this stars Kurt Russell. He plays the sheriff in this, which is tremendous. He was made to be in westerns, and we got Patrick Wilson, and we've got Matthew Fox from Lost. It's even got Sid Haig. And see, to me, that tips me off a little bit that maybe this was intended to be horror. Yeah. You got Sid Haig in there because the opening shot, the very, like, as the film opens, you got a knife down in somebody's neck slicing open their throat, and it's a dull knife. (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, so it does have a, the violence in it is really intense, and I would say very realistic as well. Yeah. 
there just happens to be two hours of walking between the two violent scenes in the movie, which doesn't bother me. Uh, like I am someone who loves a slow independent film. I mean, the, I, I would say this reminds me a lot of Meek's Cutoff, which I love. Cody Clark loves. I don't know if you've seen that one, but I don't think I have actually. Meek's Cutoff. Yeah, I mm. mean that one's a, has less action than a lot less action than this, <laughs> but tonally, this reminded me of somewhere between Meek's Cutoff on the low end of the spectrum and No Country for Old Men on the high end of the spectrum. But it's got way less action than No Country for Old Men, and and you know, twenty five percent more than Meek's Cutoff, but. I, well, that, Meek's yeah. Cutoff's rated PG, and I don't even think this one got a rating. It's got to be, because I think it's unrated, because it would have probably been NC-17. Yeah, but most of this movie could have been PG. Like, <laughs> if you cut, you could cut two minutes out of this movie, and it, you could rate it PG. <laughs> but there are more than just two kills. I mean, there are there are a few kills in this. There's some, listen, I don't. There's some great moments in the movie. I'm not disparaging it by comparing it to these other movies. I love both of those movies that I just mentioned. Okay. I think Searchers is a great, another great touchstone. I mean, I think uh, that's, I'm surprised that Andy came up with that and I congratulate <laughs> him for that. Uh, that's great. I, I, I really liked the movie a lot. It kind of reminds me of a bit of the Coen brothers remake of true grit to some extent. Mm-hmm. I see that but not nearly as well directed as the Coen brothers films that I just mentioned, uh, true grit and no country for old men. So what was it about the direction that was bothering you? I mean, it it gets, it gets better as it goes, mostly because the writing is so good that you get lost in it. Much like a Kevin Smith film, you start to forget about the low production values after 20 minutes because you're sucked in by the way people are speaking to each other. And that's how I felt with this film, but it was a rough beginning for me because the staging was so bad. Just the shot selection was so bad. Um, Everything just felt really stilted, but not in like a David Mamet good way. Like in a, this is a first time director kind of way, which it is, you know? Um, But the director is also the author of several Western novels. And you can tell that in the, in the writing. I mean, the writing is really strong, which is rare for a small independent film. Mm-hmm. Such as this, yeah. From a first time director. So it really stands out uh, due to mostly, I would say the dialogue. Yeah. That it, it is some of the best dialogue I've ever heard in a Western because I, it rang so true. I mean, no, I, I wasn't alive in the late 1890s, <laughs> but, um, you know, from the really quality Western films that I've seen, especially like Unforgiven is one I go to because it just seems so authentic. There's an authenticity to this. And for people who are big fans of uh, various actors, if you'll know Richard Jenkins, he steals the show in this. And and it actually has comedy, uh, like comedic moments. I wouldn't call this a comedy to any degree, but um, the Richard Jenkins character brings a lot of comedy to the film. Yeah. And it's very enjoyable. But yeah, Josh, my the, the chink in the armor for this movie to me is probably going to be its rewatch value because, yeah, a lot of it is this journey. They're traveling for like four days to get um, to this place where these people have been abducted. And and we know that they're going to a big showdown to get their people back. They're great. Like, um, what do you call it? Uh, procedural moments. 
on that camping trip that really affected me as someone who has kind of been out in the wild a few times, like, Ooh, like that's, I can relate to this situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've thought about bears creeping up on me in my sleep several times. And so I, I can like, Oh, like I get that they're afraid of the dark, <laughs> right. You know, and, and it is dangerous the world that they live in. I mean, it's true wild West and that's exciting about the film. It, it really is. And, um, yeah, so like the the traveling, I mean, I I can it's definitely a slow burn. I'll just tell the listeners that right now. But as Josh said, I mean, the dialogue is so strong that it, it carries you through as far as entertainment value. And I'm pretty sure I could rewatch this and still love it just as much just because of, you know, the dialogue and so forth. But but one of the characters is injured, he has a broken leg and so he's even slower and there's a lot of him struggling along and hobbling along, and they want to really drive home the fact that this guy is making a huge sacrifice to make this journey. Yeah. And I think that in in future rewatches that that's going to kind of wear on me a little bit, but I don't care. I think if the shootout of the OK Corral was a little more substantial, I think I could sit through this again. I think if, but this is the movie's over two hours long. Oh, yeah. it's And, mm-hmm. and it just feels like... Whoa, like that was a lot of stuff to sit through, you know, (laughs) and and I think if they could have trimmed up that middle section and made a really satisfying ending, it's not that kind of a film is the truth. And that's why I compare it to Meek's Cutoff, because it's not meant to be viewed that way. It's not it's not meant to be entertaining necessarily, (laughs) like purely entertaining. It's telling a really specific story in a very specific way. Um, and so, I mean, I congratulate it for that. It's good. But I think, yeah, you're right. Because of the way it's constructed, the rewatch value is very low. But do you – okay, so do you think, though, that there is um, – because I think with generally with Westerns, there's kind of a um, like a tall tale nature to Westerns. But I feel like this film is really set in reality in a lot of ways. I mean, there there's a real – um, yeah, but in a way you don't want it to be like in a way you want the search party to be more in a way you want a cavalry in a way you want the shootout to be not what the real OK Corral was like, but what the movie OK Corral was like, you know, like you want it to be just a little more substantial because of the way we watch the Western is the epic American film format. And so I guess we're trained to expect something out of it. Okay. See, to me, that's where I have to part ways with you because to me, what I love about Bone Tomahawk is that you've got um, <laughs> these these frontiers people, right? And it's really, I mean, it's hard life. It's hard living and they're dependent on their guns and their horses. And, and that's it. And they're going after these monsters, and they're going to take on monsters. And it has a, a, to me, it has just such authenticity. I, I can't find a better word. Just the realism that I actually find this movie scary. I was scared at the end. I mean, I, scary, yes, but also it makes you laugh because it's so unmovie like. Like it's so, there, there are things that happen to certain characters that you anticipate greatness from them that doesn't always come to fruition. And when it doesn't, I laughed because it's just like this movie's messing with me and I appreciate that, but it's not like affecting me intensely. It's kind of 
I don't know. Like it's too meta. Like the experience was too meta for me to kind of like <laughs> to kind of be affected by it. You I, know, I was just kind of like, ha, give me a break. Like that's ridiculous. That's hilarious. Well, I know what you're saying, but I to me it wasn't like it didn't make me laugh. It was just like, oh, well, yeah, that's probably what would happen. Like. You know, as as heroic as I envision myself, if I went out there to like get some business done, I'd probably get like shot in the face, and that would be, you know, it'd be a very short lived charge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I like how that shows up in this in this film. Not specifically that example I gave, but yeah, I mean, some of the <laughs> some of the characters and their actions is, is a little bit like anticlimactic, and I think that gives it more realism, actually. But yeah, I guess I just. I- you you I expect that from a movie, but then I expect two more characters who are going to really come through as the movie type of here. Like this is a weird, it's a weird critique because this is what I look for in films. But I do also think it's you know, may, it, it might be a, my expectations weren't adjusted for it. And I think if someone comes into it with lower expectations, they're probably going to be more impressed by what they get. Yeah. Well, I want the listeners to know just from my personal experience when I viewed this that I was um glued. I was sitting on the edge even though it's slow burn. I was sitting on the edge of my seat like literally and there were many moments where I was like covering my mouth cuz my mouth was like dropped wow. open and I was like I was like wiggling and squirming and very like I mean I just this affected me so much. I must say it right now just I'm just telling people up front, um, this is a masterpiece to me. And I mean it when I say masterpiece. It's a 10 out of 10. I call this a must-see. Um, this is a definite buy, and I, I love this film. I couldn't I couldn't love it more, except maybe if they did trim the middle a little bit. Um, I agree with you. It is long, and it is a slow burn, which I usually don't love. But, man, otherwise I love it. What do you give it, Josh? I mean, that middle part's wa- absolutely watchable on the first time. This held my attention. I wouldn't say I was on the edge of my seat, but I was enjoying myself. Um, it's just to to look at it as a masterpiece or a classic, then I start judging it by how is this going to hold up over time. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it will. Um, I, I think also, again, my expectations were a little bit skewed. And I know I've been skewered myself for rating things based on my expectations a lot lately. I have done that. That's true. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I went in expecting a cannibal film for whatever reason, Jay, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just been watching a bunch of really horrific Italian cannibal films. And so I would say this was a bit underwhelming in that regard as a Western. It was awesome, especially as like a lo-fi indie naturalistic Western Great. It was great. Um, I would probably give this one an eight and say um, it's a high priority rental. And it's definitely one everybody should check out, especially if you like the Western genre. I'm not sure it's a horror film, but there's definitely a horrific moment in it. And it's a lot of fun, you know, as a one time watch for sure. And Kurt Russell's incredible in it. Yes. Unbelievably good in it. When you see this movie, I'm just sad that he's the age he is because I want to see a hundred more movies with him. Honestly, it, it's one of his very best roles ever. I mean, I, for me, at least yeah. I love that. And wanted, but I just wanted more out of it. Like and, give me just a little bit more. And I agree. I, I'll give you that. Um, as far as a cannibal film goes, like, yeah, compared to these other things we've been talking about tonight, there's very little, cannibal stuff but they are in fact cam- cannibals we do see them eating 
people a little bit or you know and when it happens it's intense yeah very very intense so anyway um, I, didn't, I didn't think matthew fox was great i want i always want to like him because i like lost and i have never once liked him in a movie so far yeah That's he's it. jack you know like what did you see him in we are marshall actually yeah he was good in that okay he was good in yeah that. but i but I, the ones i always think of are um what's that one where he's like a on the secret service in the and in the movie rewinds several times. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't I remember it though. Called. Anyway, that's the main one I think of. Anyway, <laughs> he's just a bad actor, and I like him. I like Lost, but I thought he was even bad as Jack most of the time. Really, I actually thought he was a good actor. So that's interesting. <laughs> I think he's good. I just I typically don't end up liking him in movies though. He just has one thing he does. You know. Even yeah. when he's the bad guy in this or the hero in Lost, he's still kind of that same guy. You were talking about Vantage Point, and I despise Vantage that movie. Point. Yeah, and that's a rough watch. That's like one of the worst movies ever made. Anyway, like, and I love Patrick Wilson, um, and I love Richard Jenkins, and they're both pretty good in this. Like they're they're good. They're not as good as Kurt Russell. Really, is like the reason to watch the movie. Yes, and as Shannon said or alluded to in the message board, Lily Simmons is quite lovely. Yeah. To be sure. What else have I seen her in very recently? I feel like we just talked about her in something. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like we have. Let's see. Um, Fat Kid Rules the World. Oh, that's that's probably where I saw her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she was also in True Detective. Um, the theme song for this movie that they play during the closing credits maybe gives too much away. Yeah. <laughs> But I love it, and I would love. To, I mean, if you want to put it somewhere at the end of this podcast, there or something somewhere in the podcast for doomed men, right out. I I love that. <laughs> well, if you if you send it to me, I'll I'll try to work it in. So that sounds fun. We and could if you, do it. If that sounds spoilerish to you, you can cut it out. No, I don't. I I didn't hear anything spoilery about what you said. Okay, <laughs> at least. All right. Well, I I'm actually pretty happy with your rating. I'm glad because you sounded more lukewarm on it. So I was worried, but I can live with an eight. For me, it's a 10. It's a must see listeners for real. You're going to hear me talk more about this when we go to our top 10 list at the end of this year. <laughs> okay, Josh, are you ready to move into our feature review of the Green Inferno? Oh, yeah. dangerous we can't just go invade a country because they're doing something that we think is immoral i know i just think i should be doing something about the rainforest it's time to make a difference Okay, buddy, set us up on this. Take it away. Okay, so this film is a Eli Roth film, and it was shot way back in like 2012 and initially premiered uh, at a film festival in 2013 and was set for release and then was held over for two years. Um, and then funnily enough, comes out basically the same time as his next film, Knock Knock. Um, it stars Lorenzo Izzo and Ariel Levy, and these are two people you would recognize from Aftershock. 
if you saw that film, what again, that was filmed right around the same time as uh, Green Inferno. Mm-hmm. And basically what you have is Ariel Levy plays this activist on a college campus and he's taking a, a bunch of college students down to the Amazon in Peru to uh, try to stop some destruction of the rainforest there. And Lorenzo Izzo, who plays Justine, kind of gets excited about this idea and she goes along with him. And what you learn really quickly on is how ill-prepared these kids are for what they're getting themselves into. They have no idea what they're doing. Um, And you start to get worried even that the people that they're following in to the situation are either A, taking advantage of them, or B, completely clueless themselves. And so you feel a lot of peril for these kids right off the bat. And they get themselves into a situation where um, they're kind of going to do a chain themselves to the construction machine's Uh, move you know to try to stop the destruction of the rainforest and they're going to simultaneously live stream all of this on the internet and get a bunch of uh, attention for their cause what they don't foresee is that uh, a series of events will lead them to crash land in the middle of the jungle and be taken hostage by a killer tribe of headhunting cannibals and this movie um, is strongly influenced by films like uh, The Last Cannibal World and uh, Cannibal Holocaust and several other films. In fact, even in the closing credits of the movie, uh, Eli Roth, <laughs> which I really appreciated, put like a list of like 12 films that influenced this film, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, but th- I, th- I, this, I have really mixed feelings about this movie and I'm excited to talk with it about you, but uh, I'm curious what you're thoughts and feelings were on the movie well yeah the i guess the first thing i just wanted to say is that um lorenza Izzo, maybe i don't know if you mentioned this or not but i was like wow she is just um beautiful and i was kind of enamored by her and then i realized that she was married to eli roth and two days from the day that this episode releases on november 8th it will be their one year anniversary yeah i didn't know that until today or yesterday i definitely didn't know when i saw the film um and I, they they weren't married at the time of filming or when they filmed Aftershock together. Um, so yeah, they got they must have been married in the interim. I what happened is I was watching Keanu Reeves on uh, Jimmy Kimmel talk about Knock Knock, and Keanu Reeves said how weird it was to do a sex scene with the director's wife, and I was like, wait, who's Eli Roth's wife? And that's how I found out that he was married to her. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, that is weird. But um. Anyway, I'm a huge fan of hers, and I think, you, you know that expression, the camera loves her. Yeah. It really does. I mean, she is just, it's incredible stellar to, in the movie, to yeah. watch her, just to look at her face. And um, I'm not trying to be a weirdo. I'm just saying that <laughs> she has that n- no. magical quality. She's great. Okay, so the, the opening of this film, it, it's kind of distracting, right? I was a little nervous. As this film opened, Josh, I was like, um, uh-oh, because there are some weird choices, and, and the listeners will have to pardon me a little bit. I have the worst memory, and I don't know why, but like when it comes to things that, I don't know, I, I just don't remember things very well, and we saw this, what, back in like September 8th or something? Yeah. It, it was somewhere in September, and we didn't cover it on this podcast because we were doing Nightmare on Elm Street, so it has been... Uh, quite a while, several weeks since I've seen this. So I'm going to be a little bit rusty 
But um, <clears throat> do you know what I'm talking about, Josh, in the beginning, like with the it's like really heavy handed and ham fisted and it's like it seems like it's going to suck really bad at first. Right. It starts out really rough. The first several scenes are bad and it's not until they really arrive at the cannibal camp that it starts to get good. Yes. Um, there are some, uh, you know, as much as I liked Ariel Levy in Aftershock, I thought he did a good job there. And then, and as much as we said, as we like Lorenzo Iso, um, I did not think they were doing a great job at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, and agreed. a lot of the, a lot of the supporting cast was pretty rough, especially Sky Ferreira. Who's, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name. She's kind of a famous uh, singer um, right in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right now she's got some hip hop songs yeah. her weird her weird um roommate she was awful like, you know, I, ha- I hated the writing and i hated her delivery i know you know what i thought about her i thought okay this girl is totally channeling kristen stewart she saw kristen stewart in her movies and twilight and stuff and she's like okay i'll do that because she her ex- facial expressions her blankness, her I'm too cool for this movie. I mean, I, it, she drove me nuts. So she was a real problem for me. I agree. Yeah, she was bad. Um, she reminded me of um, what's her name in the in the Adams Family movie. Oh yeah, I know who you mean. The daughter, right? Yeah, she reminds me of the daughter in the Adams Family movies. Yeah, like her. That's how great her delivery is. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah she she's definitely problematic but anyway when the movie does get to the cannibal camp it really takes off um it becomes insanely gory instantly and again it's very heavily influenced by those italian cannibal films i mean every scene is basically there are maybe three or four moments that aren't lifted directly from one of those cannibal italian cannibal films and and that's okay so here's the thing and this is what one of the things that we disagreed on we were texting each other um so yeah there is a when they when they want to establish when eli roth wants to establish that these are cannibals and wants to show us that we see it and we get one like full-blown like from beginning to end kind of um cannibal kill that's um just graphic and gruesome and so forth. But yeah, I mean, compared to these other films that inspired this one, and since we're talking about Eli Roth in a 2015 movie, I, I can't believe you're going to say this. After I, I what am. You just said about Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> I, I am. I, I was expecting more from Eli Roth. I, I, I'm not caught. It was movie kind of 20 times more than Bone Tomahawk does. But here's the thing. It, it looks decent. But it's still kind of fake looking to me. It's a little bit artificial. I don't think so. I I'm, think this is practical effects. It is practical. Done, and, be, done at their best. And I it's mean, decent. But here's the thing. that that The notable scene from Bone Tomahawk looks absolutely real to me. I, I, I It doesn't have any seams at all. <laughs> I was totally disgusted by the first cannibal scene in this movie. Like horrified. Yeah, um, it I've is. Never, yeah. But but what do you get after that? I mean, there's really, I mean, there's not much else. I mean, it's kind of like it reaches this pinnacle in this first, you know, first major kill, and then and then it's after enough that, to keep, it's enough to keep you terrified for the, all the rest of the characters for the rest of the movie, though. Yeah, but uh, seriously though, since we're talking about Eli Roth, right? 
I mean, were you expecting more from him? Like as far as more, I don't like more from him though. I don't like Eli Roth unleashed. Like I, I, I'm a critic, <laughs> I'm a critic of the hostile movies. I don't think they're good. And I, so I, I'd like to see him practice some restraint. I don't think, I don't think restraint is the right word for this movie though. It goes, it goes nuts. I mean, this movie is, um, totally like barbaric and, and, um, not just in terms of eating people. I mean, there are, you know, the things he does add to the cannibal genre are things like diarrhea jokes, masturbation jokes. Um, yeah, I, I hated those jokey things. I mean, like what, what that really bothered. And, and the, the low point for this is like the, um, there's drug related humor. How about yeah. we'll say it like that? Yeah, it's a Jay and Silent Bob movie in in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that's that's stupid. I mean, it, it's just like, oh, come on, give me a break about this. So, so that was really disappointing to me. Yeah, so you got the the drug related humor, the the diarrhea stuff, and yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, see, because what it did is it took me out. Now it's coming back to me, Josh. It took me out of the horror because they established that horrific scene that you talked about. And then we go back into this goofy stuff where we're supposed to be laughing. And it's like, man, I want this to be dead serious. Like serious as a heart attack all the way through. Yeah. I mean, I think that stuff's still supposed to be start disturbing to you though. If you're a young college girl who uh, is the age of the, you know, the heroine in this film, the idea of having diarrhea in public is probably the most horrifying thing you can imagine. Um, the idea of a guy doing what he does near them is probably horrific. And so th- I think they're meant to still add to the uncomfortable nature of, uh, of the film to add to the discomfort of these characters and put them in kind of a hell on earth type of situation. Yeah. But everybody in my theater, at least everybody laughed during those scenes. And I'm like, okay, tension breaker. And I'm like, I didn't want to break the tension. I want to keep it scary. And what about the guy on the poster art with the yellow face paint? Uh, I'm like, I'm really expecting like something cool about him. I thought that guy was amazing. He was so creepy. He is, but we barely get him. He's almost like a prop. He's like an extra. He makes like a little cameo. He's like, I'm the guy from the poster art. And like, he doesn't really have much to do and there's not much. I mean, I was just, honestly, I was a little disappointed by this movie. I mean, it's not terrible or anything like that. I mean, it's definitely worth seeing. It's a good entry in the cannibal genre, but I just found it really underwhelming actually. Underwhelming is not a word I would use <laughs> for this movie. I just, it was intense and disturbing and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the problems with it I, I have are the problems we discussed with the cannibal genre earlier on and the notion that in our more enlightened time, we shouldn't be dealing with the same kind of racist, misogynist things that you know we were dealing with back in the 70s and 80s. It would be my expectation. You know, this movie got slammed by critics and there was like even there's like a article for the rap um you know from the hollywood reporter which i know you don't like but um where they talk about uh, the nine worst reviews for cannibal holocaust or whatever it is and there's some rough ones uh this one i just want to share a bit of this one it says um this is by inku king wrote in her review at best the green inferno is a reliable shock and disgust delivery system 
at worst, and it certainly veers toward the worst. It's a racially reprehensible work that exploits one of the world's most powerless peoples. And that's a real condemnation. I will say the movie tries to make the same point that Cannibal Holocaust makes kind of as well, which is maybe the people just shouldn't have gotten involved in something they didn't understand and gone to a place they shouldn't have been in the first place. Maybe the outsiders display as much savagery in their own way as these cannibal, this group of headhunter cannibals. And I think that is part of the point of the film, but I think I was discussing this on the message boards with David, um, one of our listeners. It's Eli Roth is always interesting to me because he presents this really xenophobic view of the world, which surprises me for a guy who is a world traveler and has been all around the world. But like his films like Hostel and and this reflect a world where you should be scared of other people, scared of other cultures, you know, and it's a, it, that's something I find really kind of perplexing about his movies. Because even though I would say there possibly is that underlying message of we're just as bad as them and stay out of where we don't belong, it's really buried. And I don't think the core audience for the film is going to pick up on that as a message. I think they're going to say well, aren't these savages really, um, you know, backward or whatever? And so I, I think that's um, a problem, I guess, with this movie that I wouldn't expect to see in a movie these days um, as much as back in the 70s. Yeah, I, re- I read your comments there with David. And um, so let's see, how do I, how do I approach this, Josh? Because we... <laughs> We never talk about these things very smoothly. Uh, Okay, when we were doing our cannibal research for this stuff, and when we were looking things up, or like, you know, looking at the cover of, um, what what is that? Keep the river on your right, okay? It shows some people who have practiced um, cannibalism. And, And some of those people have you know, they look a certain way. Like, and for example, in this December, let me, let me back up and do it this way. We have that movie coming out, the big short, which is about the, um, basically the white greedy male bankers who were responsible for the the housing crisis in 2008. Okay. If we're going to have a movie about, um, wall street corruption, then it's inhabited with, um, white guys who were bankers, who were the, people who have been known to do such things. And so, I mean, who, and I was wondering about David's comments, because I'm like, well, who would they have cast as the cannibals than these, like, you know, these humble tribal people? Because as you said at the beginning of this, this review, not this review, but this whole episode, even recently we discovered some really, um, I guess, buried cultures or buried peoples in the forests who practice cannibalism. Yeah. Well, they didn't practice cannibalism. We found them. We found them deep within. They were basically an undiscovered tribe. And I think that's an interesting fact, but they felt really threatened by the outside world. And the only reason we found them is because we were destroying the, the forests around their home and that's how we happened upon them. And so they were used as a political tool, which is what this movie is actually all about is how, People on both sides of the coin can be evil. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Those people who were just an uncontacted group of people living their life were thrust into this modern political landscape and they were used as a tool to try to stop the destruction of the rainforest. Um, and I think it's sad then that those same people would be villainized as something that they're not. And even the people who play the cannibals in the movie, you know, are actual people that live in those areas and don't practice cannibalism or were very <laughs> kind to the crew. And, yeah. and they don't have an understanding of what they're participating in and the stereotypes about their culture that they're reinforcing. They're just happy to get some kind of money and food and stuff. And that was the case even back in the seventies when they were making the cannibal films. I mean, that documentary I watched eaten alive. One of the actors talks about how heartbreaking it was to see the local actors and the way that the, that the film people treated them and how they had no understanding of basically these stereotypes that were, they were, they were perpetuating about themselves um, and having no way to kind of interact with that, you know, have a a voice in that conversation. Right. Being used um, as kind of like set pieces, you yeah. know, now that that's a great a point that, that you actually, you described that and explained that very well. So that, that is a great point. Like, yeah, the, the, um, dare we say exploitation of the actual people who are actors. Yeah. yeah. They got paid, but the exploitation. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see raising eyebrows about that, but um, they don't have, they don't know about the cultural context in which they are situated and they're not online and they don't have, they're not getting to talk about themselves and, and, the, right. and the, except this is how they're now represented. Right? And, right. and now people are scared to visit Peru because of this. I know. I, I, the, the, right? I get the same kind of thing about West Virginians. So I get <laughs> something. From but, but the thing is, is like, Jay, I mean, you talk about, okay, well, like who are the people who practice cannibalism? Well, again, like, Number one, cannibalism was practiced everywhere, again, since the dawn of time. But number two, um, as I was saying, a lot of the time, these accounts of cannibalism were way overblown by the colonizing forces as a way to um, prop up popular opinion of the colonization of these people and their land and the rape and plundering of of these people. And And a lot of academics believe that a lot of this cannibalism never even actually existed. It was just a way to kind of, um, you know, allow public perception public perception to shift against them, right? So that they could feel okay about taking over their homes, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, that is a what I would say is that's a really negative, possibly dishonest stereotype that is being propagated by these movies. Maybe that's taking them too seriously. That's fine. I don't have a problem with a uh, with a film like this generally, but this movie also does rely on a lot of the other problems that exist in a lot of other horror movies. I mean, the same reviewer whose quote that I read, she talks about this movie holds up the idea of a white female um, being subject to genital mutilation, which is a practice that happens all over the world currently being the absolute worst thing that could happen to her as the virginal white female literally painted white (laughs) while um, 
you know, the black man, as usual, is the first to suffer the wrath. And I, that maybe that's a mild spoiler, but it shouldn't be a, a spoiler to anyone who's familiar with horror films, because that's what happens. The black right. guy gets it first. And she also mentions, which I think is a little silly, but we also have to, you know, if we're seriously talking about filmic representation. Let's talk about it. The natives are painted. Their skin is red. He made them red skins in the movie. Now you can say, okay, you're going a little too far with it. Yeah, maybe. It looks cool. What I will say is the paint looks rad. <laughs> right. And the yellow paint and the, and the and the white paint and the red paint all look really cool. But it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely something that was a choice that was made by the filmmakers. And what is that saying? Well, it's what, interesting what, because the uh, the cannibals, well, quote unquote cannibals and Bone Tomahawk are actually dark skinned, but they got like white powder on them. That makes them look whitish, which, which is more keeping with traditional um, paint of the Native Americans in that region. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's more historically based, I would say. Right, it's still interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. So, anyway, what I would say, what I would just suggest is that if that the movie is at, at, at least it's complicated, and Eli Roth. David puts it really well. Let me see if I can find what he wrote about it. Okay. Um, David says, well, I can't imagine that most mainstream critics are particularly well-versed in the perceivably xenophobic tropes of the older films in the subgenre, which is true. Um, so they likely missed any elements of homage and satire. But then he says, but I think this issue speaks to one of the problems I have with Roth's output in general. His films often seem perfectly set up for satirical subtext, as several of us pointed out with regard to Hostel in the comments of the Horrors of Consumerism episode. But I just feel like he's all too willing to let those elements be overshadowed by the shock value of his approach. Hostel could have been a great critique of unmitigated capitalism consumerism, yet its satirical nature is muddled by the xenophobic streak you mentioned – Emphasis on depressing torture and characters that are hard to relate to. I can never tell if his subject of his if his subtext is just handled so subtly that it becomes ambiguous, or if he's just not a refined enough writer to make it count. And I thought that was a really great That's, question by David, or like statement by David that made me yes. think a lot about what is Eli Roth really trying to say in these movies, and maybe he's happy to leave it um, subjective, and and I could appreciate that too. Yes, David, that exceptional comment i was very impressed i really enjoyed th that conversation you guys had there in the comments um but i still want to say I, I i don't feel like i'm getting across the, the the monster aspect of it it's like okay well in horror i mean in a horror film you have a monster typically and uh, what does the monster represent it doesn't always represent what is accurate in our world it represents what our perceptions are of that world. And so the monster that, you know, performs ca cannibalism doesn't look like uh, Japanese businessmen wearing suits and ties, right? Actually, if you watch that documentary about the real cannibal, it does look like a Japanese businessman wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> that one, that's really funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunate <laughs> choice on your part to make your point, but yes. <laughs> right. But, you know, if you ask, you know, 99 out of 100 people, okay. If, if, but if, that's a problem, Jay. That's what I'm saying. This is reinforcing an already and, and, and possibly false stereotype. Granted, and I give you guys that, but the fact is, like, it's a horror film, and so they're going to pick the monster representation that people are afraid of in that context. You know what you know, I mean? So, you, know what I, you know what I think? Like when you have um, in Bone Tomahawk, this isn't giving away anything that's not said in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film. A Native American character, and that film handles, by the way, the race relation stuff amazingly. Like I was really impressed because it could yes. have been just the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't. They were very responsible as progressive thinking, you know, 21st century <laughs> type of people. They were. They and were. they brought in this native guy and he says, these are not my people. And they said, well, it looks like an engine to us or whatever. And he says, yeah, I can see why to someone like you, you would just categorize <laughs> this as all the same. What I'm telling you is this is outside of our culture and outside of our people. Yeah. And you need to recognize that is these guys are like true savages, you know? And I thought that was very useful. And because what it's saying is this is great. There actually actually aren't native American tribes that act this way. These guys are something else and maybe they're monsters. And I think, yes. um, 10 out of 10, right, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but I, but you know, green Inferno doesn't go that far. And I, mm -mm. and I don't think, by the way, when I say it, like I just did, it sounds like it would be very heavy handed, but it wasn't, it felt real within the context of bone tomahawk. And, and I'm not saying that, that, um, green Inferno needed that scene. no, I don't think it did necessarily, but I'm just saying this film isn't as responsible about the way it handles it. And some people aren't going to care about that, but I think, you know, when we talk about all of these movies and there was a great line in the eaten alive documentary where they said, if you care about race relations, if you care about um, the representation of will of women and the representation of racial minorities, in cinema, then you shouldn't be watching these Italian exploitation films. <laughs> and That's it's a true. Good point. Like, they're very, um, they're very disgusting in a lot of ways. And, yeah. yeah. And so anyway, the, look, the cannibals are cool looking. Uh, the movie, the, those parts are interesting and fun, um, but they are problematic. And I, and I am, and I'm, and I just wish that um, Eli Roth was a more careful filmmaker he feels a little haphazard to me yeah well i i could agree that's with that a general, not just here well and okay here's something that i thought he was not careful with that really bothered me you know how in most movies and i say most movies referring to most decent movies <laughs> there will be setup and payoff you know like something is seeded earlier in the film only to be paid off later and and we Viewers, we astute viewers have come to um, recognize this pattern and it actually has become like something really enjoyable for me where I, I can tell something is being set up and I'm like, oh, oh that's going to be paid off later, right? Well, there are a number of things in The Green Inferno that Eli Roth seems to be setting up that, that do not pay off and... Um, before you think ill of me, Josh, it's not necessarily that I wanted to see such things played out because I didn't. <laughs> okay, just for the record. But I was also shocked that 
you know, it's actually a huge missed opportunity at horror. At horror, exactly. Yeah, the 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 sick minded, twisted Eli Roth um, went a little bit soft. You know that that's how I felt as I was leaving. And, and it's also just not. It's just yeah, it's not brave. Even just I'm not even saying soft from like a exploitative horror standpoint. I'm just saying it's not. It's a weak filmmaking decision in general, no matter what genre you're working in, to not pay that off. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, and that's a big setup in this, but anyways. Um, I mean, maybe you can argue, well, he created all the tension out of it that he needed to. He didn't need right. to pay it off. I got you. I'm with you. Yeah, and I could see that, and I think that's a good point, and he would probably But again, I think it might have been more socially interesting to say, look, we're going to make these these characters go through what people all over the world go through all the time. And again, like it's the worst thing we can imagine. And there's actually a moment similar to that in bone Tomahawk um, with a with a rifle. If you remember Mm -hmm. um, that you, that's a similar kind of thing. It's just like, no, we're not willing to go there. You know, we, we talk about with Kyle Bishop, how uh, (laughs) killing the, the child or the dog makes it a serious horror film. I think we have, we found a new, uh, thing to add to that list if they are willing to go there <laughs> right. it's a serious horror film <laughs> exactly yeah i i'm i agree 100 so okay do you have anything else you want to say about this baby before we rate it i mean i don't want to sound like too much of a pc jerk i i, I did enjoy the movie i the my problems with it are mostly in just filmmaking blunders more than they are any kind of social political problems the film has because I do recognize that it is heavily, if not completely just homaging those, uh, you know, those Italian cannibal flicks. And so it's doing what those do. Um, I, I would have appreciated if Eli Roth could have updated just a little bit more, but on the other hand, like I said, those scenes that are kind of seem like they're straight out of eating alive, uh, are some of the worst scenes in the movie when they're back in New York. So, yeah. you know, on the other hand, never mind. Like, let's just keep it in the jungle and make this story happen. Well, here's another major complaint. It's slowly coming back to me, but one of the things that bothered me most in this is we have um, some really odd character arcs. And there's one in particular that is a major shift. It's completely like 180 degrees. Um, from the way, you know, the character's been established and then all of a sudden, like, things change quite a bit. I mean, and in a situation like this under such duress, like, people would change somewhat. But the way that this one character changes is absolutely ridiculous. It's so contrived. It doesn't bother me at all. Oh, I was rolling my eyes hard on that. And it feels very much like Hostel is basically the same character arc, by the way. Well, yes. Yeah, I remember that. But it's just, it's... It was super disappointing. Now, um, you and I, in our text, um, and we have to be careful about how we're going to talk about this. So let me let me even think. Let's see if it's even possible to talk about it because we don't want to go into spoilers. Um, but we were talking about the way the ending is is left and what is done with the ending, and um, it seemed like you and I kind of disagreed on, or or what was the <laughs> I forget the finer points of what we were even debating but we did have a debate about the ending and how to read it do you remember that yeah um the very very end 
Yeah, about uh, about what you're supposed to think and feel as you walk away, what you're supposed to conclude about what has all transpired and and why certain decisions were made and, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So, so what do you want to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really it's impossible to talk about. I didn't mind it. I you know, at that point, I mean, I, I didn't if I'll, you're going to if you're going to go along with the character arc, then that doesn't bother me. Um, it just, the only thing I would say is it seems a little arrogant to suppose <laughs> right? that, I mean, I, I think it's okay to say this, there would be a sequel, which is kind of set up. Um, I don't mind the circumstances under which that sequel set up at all, but it does seem a little much. Um, it's know. ridiculous to me. I despised that part. <laughs> so it, it, it's a bit of a Michael Rockefeller kind of idea though. And I wonder if that's where it was, what it was inspired by. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, I mean, I guess the time will tell, but I, I don't know. I mean, how how did this do? I mean, this wasn't in theaters for very long. This thing was in and out of theaters. I think maybe people felt like it was too much. It was definitely not loved by critics. Um, but, you know, it wasn't given a proper release. Like, it was on a, um, it was on a, some kind of weird arm of the Blumhouse distribution. Like, you know, because they, so what happened is basically the company that originally picked it up went out of business. It was also the same company that was doing Birdman and they had some kind of financial troubles. And so it affected all the films on their slate, including Green Inferno. Blumhouse ends up picking it up and then they, but they released it in this thing called BH Tilt, which I'd never heard of previous to Green Inferno. I don't know what other films BH Tilt has released, but some kind of weird distribution arm of Blumhouse. I don't think there's going to be a sequel if that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But it definitely didn't do super well. But I think it is the kind of film that's going to do really well on Blu-ray. Yeah, I think so. And I hope so. And actually, as as hard as I was on some of this, and as bumpy as the beginning is, and really, it's bumpy um, <laughs> in the beginning, I, I do like... It, it was a refreshing film to me in many ways because it's like, Ah, finally a horror film that's not a ghost movie or a supernatural movie. Thank you. Thank you for bringing something that I can get um, afraid of that could maybe happen in real life, potentially. Because I said it already better when I had the chance to write it out and think about what I was saying, I'm going to just read what I wrote to David because I think it says better um, for my final thoughts than what I could say on my own. Gotcha. I said, I could appreciate the film on a pure horror level, but I do understand why some mainstream film critics have said things like it's a racially reprehensible work that exploits one of the world's most powerless peoples. I think the big thing that all these critics could be missing is that the film feels like satire. I think the film is very aware that they're playing on stereotypes and they have a lot of fun with the audience's feelings and expectations about those stereotypes. And I, I will stand by what I wrote. Just although it may have sounded like I don't <laughs> based on our conversation, I do think that the film knows that it's messing with all of our expectations. And that's what one of the things that makes it a lot of fun for me and or made it a lot of fun for me in the theater. And there are also just some really cool scenes in this movie. Um, and, you know, I think if you have watched all of these cannibal movies recently, like we have, you might appreciate all these little winks and nods as well. Yeah. I would give this one a 7.5 and I would call it a uh, rental. That's interesting because that's exactly what I gave it a 7.5 um, over on when I reviewed it on Movie Podcast Weekly. That's what I said. And at the time, it was still in theaters. And I said, see it in the theater because I think it's worth supporting a horror film that's not a ghost film. <laughs> and it is a horrific experience as far as like 
the horror you will see. And, and the main scary cannibal scene that we talked about is, um, you know, it's pretty crazy and intense. But yeah, this is a buy to me. I, I think it's worth buying as hard as I am on it because it's definitely not a perfect film. It's got lots of problems. I still think it's um, pretty interesting. I was, you know, I was totally fascinated the whole time and glued to the screen. Um, <laughs> if it's a really good Blu-ray, I would buy it because Roth, being such a student of cannibal films, I, there could be an amazing documentary and I actually would buy it for that. Well, Is and it? yeah, speaking of the Blu-ray, I mean, like when in the opening scenes there, that they, they shows the helicopter shot flying over these jungles and the trees. It's gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, seeing that on a great Blu-ray transfer, just be perfect. But the plane crash has some terrible CGI in it. It, it does. It, and there is one scene which we can't talk about because it's technically a spoiler, but it is one of the lamest spoilers I've ever. It's one of the lamest things I've ever seen in a movie. Actually, <laughs> It's some of the worst CGI also in the movie. It's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has some weakness to it. So, yeah, I mean. But it's I, lame even if it's not CGI, right? Right. Right. But I think if people go into this movie watching the green inferno and probably a lot of our listeners have already seen it but if you go into it just knowing that it's going to have some real limitations i think you're going to have a good time you'll be freaked out it's going to have a my little pony in it at the end <laughs> essentially <laughs> oh you're cracking me up right now but all right so you that, know what i'm talking about I, I, yeah yeah okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. It's so dumb. Pretty hilarious. I forgot about that until just now, so I had to mention that the C, yeah, the CGI is a big knock for me as well. <laughs> oh, you're making me laugh. Okay, well, good job, Josh. I, I'm amazed that we, after all of our disagreement, we came in at the same number on that seven point five. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had different concerns about the film, but <laughs> that's true. Yeah, mine were all surface, and yours were bigger picture well, that's not true no <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of i had a lot of filmmaking concerns with it as well okay my biggest concerns actually were all were all filmmaking concerns gotcha all right well i think that just about wraps up episode 75 of horror movie podcast we hope you had a good time and one last note on the green inferno i was going to mention it here in utah we have a very uh famous um, <laughs> franchise, a restaurant chain called Cafe Rio. They do Mexican food. Uh -huh. And Josh, right before I watched this, I I stuffed myself full of a, <laughs> a sweet pork burrito from Cafe Rio. Mm. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. It did not sit too well <laughs> as I was watching uh -huh. this immediately thereafter. I'm just uh -huh. saying my, my, I felt like a little bit like, huh. I shouldn't have eaten a bunch of meat before watching this movie. That's a, <laughs> it was a little bit, you know, a little bit unsettling. And one note, just a bit of trivia we should have brought up during the the review. For people who don't know, The Green Inferno is the name of not only the screenplay, the original screenplay of Cannibal Holocaust, but also the film within a film in Cannibal Holocaust. That's where the, the name The Green Inferno comes from. Which is very cool, actually. Yeah. So, And is the official, one of the official titles of, of the sequel to Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, so that's awesome. Okay, well, we want to thank everybody for listening, and we're grateful you joined us. Um, you can join us again in two weeks. We've got a Frankensteinian episode coming up, huh, Josh? And we're going to be covering 
um, tons of new releases from 2015 that we haven't gotten to talk about yet. So I hope everybody's ready for that because we're dead serious about horror movies. So Josh, what plugs do you got for uh, the listeners out there? Uh, Just check out Movie Streamcast uh, during... The month of October, I did a bunch of non, non super scary horror movies that were just kind of like creepy Halloween movies over there. Uh, like Cootie is what we do in the shadows, Monster Squad. It's a lot of fun. So you, you can check those out if you want. Also on the Sci Fi podcast, we did a really fun Halloween special where each of, of us, along with Brain, brought um, like our horror sci fi pick to the table and, and recommended it to the others. That was fun. And then again, Jay here reviewed the entire Alien franchise with these guys in October. So lots of fun stuff going on around the network. The Spooky Fix Flix Fest over at um, Forgotten Flix mm-hmm. members. And I just also want to say I'm super excited about The Bad Batch, which is the new cannibal movie from Anna Lily Amapur, who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the vampire western. Yeah, when so. do we get that, Josh? Um, I don't know. I think they have shot it already, so oh, should be man. interesting. Maybe, maybe. Uh, what? I mean, when would the release be? Yeah, it's it's slated for 2016, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, well, it's saying though on IMDb, just so you know, it's saying romance, <laughs> a dystopian love story in a Texas wasteland set in a community of cannibals. Okay. I don't know, um, Josh. On, on Wikipedia, it says a romantic horror thriller. Okay. Well, maybe. So I'm not I'm not super encouraged by the cast. I do like Diego Luna, but Jason Momoa is a terrible actor, even though he looks cool. Jim Carrey is in this. Keanu Reeves is in this. Yeah, so Keanu Reeves. Oh, man. I love Giovanna Ribisi, so I don't know. This could be amazing, or it could be a huge disaster, I suppose. I'm I'm thinking disaster at this point, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Okay. Anyway, follow me on Twitter, at AcresArts, and keep checking out Horror Movie Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a comment. That's right, and I hope people will check out Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review new stuff that's in theaters, and just so everybody knows over the next like seven weeks we're gonna be doing each of the star wars movies in order in story order starting with episode one we've got uh steve hernandez who is a jedi master of star wars knowledge like seriously he knows more about star wars than george lucas and he's gonna be our guest on all of those shows if you want to get pumped up for the new star wars movie movie podcast weekly is the place to be And as Josh said, we love your comments, so make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community and, you know, leave us a message. Tell us what you think. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 75 here, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can call and leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And we're on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. You can find all of our episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis archives at our website, HorrorMoviePodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com, and that'll be linked in the show notes for episode 75 here. And I think that's it for our cannibal episode. We're either going to call this the other white meat (laughs) or 
Meat is murder. Nah, they use that a lot. But anyway, we'll, we'll come up with some kind of catchy title. But we thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us again in two weeks for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>